You are watching Cable 10, Aurora, Illinois Community Access Channel. Cable 10 is not responsible for the content or views expressed by the participants in this program. You know what I, I find interesting? You know when you leave someplace and like you're at a shop and someone, you know, you say have a good day, say, how about if someone goes to you and says, enjoy your day? And it's like, what does that mean? What do they mean by that? <laughs> what are you getting at? Yeah, what do you get? What, what, am, what am I exactly supposed <laughs> what to enjoy you know about this I, day? What do yeah. you know that I don't know? You don't know me. You don't fucking know me. <laughs> you don't try to presume to understand or know me. <clears throat> you know? That's, so that's what I just had. I went to, to the market on the way here and they're like, enjoy your day. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> You enjoy, no, you your, enjoy your yeah. day. Why don't you worry about your day? Okay? All right? Okay? All right. Get off me. Get off me. Get off me. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Why don't you just say, have a good day? Like, you're just throwing goodness at me. Don't try to say enjoy it. Like, I don't... I'm, I'm going to enjoy my day. <laughs> I'll make the... I'll feel about my day any yeah. way I fucking feel. Yeah, if like I don't want to enjoy my day, day, I'm not going to enjoy my day. <laughs> and you ain't going to sway me. <laughs> you... You... <laughs> Fuck, get, get, get off of me. Get off of me. Next time somebody says, like, no, you enjoy your day, Yeah, asshole. yeah, you enjoy your freaking day. Or, or what don't you, you grab them by the, by the collar, like, what, what do you know that I don't know about? What's going to happen What to do me? you want me to enjoy? Yeah. What, what about my day? <laughs> Where is the portal? Where is the, what time? <laughs> How will I get to Dr. Eckhart by midnight? Do you know these? Sorry, you didn't know you are in the middle of a sci-fi movie. <laughs> Sorry, man, I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that you're... You've got your your a clock's been established. And you've only got forty eight hours to save the world because aliens are coming through on a portal that are the size of furry bunnies. So, but anyway, why don't you just say, "I'll do my best." Yeah, <laughs> I'll do my best with I got with what I got. Anyway, all right. Good night, everybody. A little teaser. Yeah, but uh, welcome to uh, welcome to our world. Welcome to it. Yeah, Saturday night movie sleepovers. Enjoy the show. Yeah, why don't you enjoy the show? <laughs> yeah, enjoy your show. Thank you. Yeah, we get this. this you get that too in like TV, but you know, five seconds before. Have a good show. Fuck you. <laughs> I hate that because it's like you're, you're trying to be the brown noser. Have a good show. You say that to the host. It's like, what about me over here? You know, they can't hear without me. Yeah, yeah. The audience ain't gonna hear that person talk. You son of a. God damn it. So, presuming. We're a little cranky. Speaking of shows, we're talking about a show today. <laughs> we're doing about a show a about, about a show, a show. and it's a, it's a it's a basic idea. The show of shows. As the ambulance goes by, if you can hear that, uh, down the road, Mrs. Cartwright's had another. She's <laughs> fell again again. <laughs> late late night Saturday. Uh, I'm Dion Baya. I'm Jay Blake, and this is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, and we're getting right to it tonight. Getting to it. Um, we're talking about a movie that's essentially an idea about a show people would do that is essentially about what we do now. Back then, they were, they, people would go on... Way before the age of the internet. Yeah, they'd go on public access at your, in your local market, as they call it, and mm -hmm. you'd do a show, and you'd hope people would you know, watch and tune in. And uh, you might actually have access to more people than we do, but nowadays, I, would, you, would you argue that could be an equivalent? Doing a podcast is kind of like... I think like so. I mean, they still have public access shows, right? Yeah, yeah, but and it's much more... Uh, 
a lot more stuff I think is gone. It's like there's it, much more maybe like you can do nowadays than yeah, the old yeah. days. Because the old days you were restricted to a studio. You had to fill out paperwork. You had to. Uh, you had a slot that you probably couldn't argue. You probably had to do it live. Well, I, I guess you wouldn't have to do it live. Maybe that you could tape it. Some people do because you get like phone in. Yeah, you know. And sometimes it can be real, like, it can get randy really quickly, <laughs> you know. But then those where these people become legends, like these uh, monster, like Svengooli and these these guys who do, like, you know, the lo- they're in their local market, they're the boogeyman person who does, like, the Saturday marathon horror movies. Or, and you know. people have come out of that, like Tom Green. Wasn't he doing, like, a Yeah, Tom Green had, I think, public a public access, access show. show in Canada. I'm sure if we had researched that angle, there'd be tons of people who could say <laughs> Have you thought about that before yeah. this very second? But everything's off the cuff, ladies and gentlemen. We bring no notes to the show as I look down at all the notes. <laughs> <laughs> but Everything you hear from us is off the top of our heads. Right off our heads. Right off the top of our big heads here. But we're here Saturday and we're but doing... But to answer your question, yes. I think a comparison between public access and things like podcasts and and video podcasts vlogs or whatever i think that's a very good comparison yeah i i i I completely agree with you so i think that um this week we're doing very freddy krueger today yeah i know i know (laughs) that's the problem i've got a sweater that i absolutely should have wore that last show i thought thought when i was putting this on today i i looked at myself in the mirror and i went because I knew that Blake, <laughs> is a, there's a 77% chance this reference will be made because every time I wear this. Yeah, somebody says Yeah, something. it's like in the All bottom right, of the screen. I already heard that. Yeah. At the bottom of the screen, I got a bing, bing every time I, I walk out in the door at work. Bing, hey, bing, Kruger, bing. Hey, Kruger. Who's Freddy Kruger over here? You know, and it's like a comfortable sweater, man. But because of, and that's kind of iconic to say that, that you know, because of somebody, I don't know what else you can wear that you could say. You know, I mean, people are going to wear, like, a pinstripe suit or, like, a thin tie. Like, hey, Reservoir Dog's over there. You fuck Mr. Blue. <laughs> and you're like, there was no Mr. Blue, asshole. <laughs> Why don't you watch the movie, dickhead? Yeah. Why don't you go watch the movie, fuck face? So this is the tirade and laced profanity. Yeah, no, we're, we're getting crazy on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've still got my buzz. Usually I don't have my buzz on a night where I've sobered up, but I think maybe my um, old Milwaukee's are still holding but, true. Uh, but yeah, so I'm wearing a sweater. He's today. wearing a sweater that's red and instead of green, kind of gray striped. Yeah, but because of the red colors are so prominent, going the right way mm-hmm. that the Freddies are, people look at the red first, and all of a sudden it's a it's a Freddy sweater. So Freddy is essentially ruined it for anybody who wants to wear a comfortable sweater that has red <laughs> lines going left to right or right to left. And we can, you know, if we ever get around to the first one, I'll wear this. Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street, and I'll we let can, you take a picture. We of We can talk it. more about the sweater and the design of Freddy. Yeah. My sweater? No, like, <laughs> oh, there's a very specific reason why Wes Craven chose oh. those colors in that sweater. Well, we can't, we can't talk about that. I know. Yeah. That's a little That's tease. That's what I'm saying. That's a little tease for five years from now when we <laughs> well, get to the first thing. <laughs> well, you never know. We could, we could get to it in, in, in another two months or so. We're doing a lot of horror. We can hit that one up. Anyway. We're punching around. Hey, but so we're not doing that today. No, we're not because of my sweater. We're, we're heading back to 1992. Yes. 25th anniversary. Yeah. Uh. Uh, another twenty fifth, uh, uh, well, another anniversary, twenty five. Uh, Hitting all the anniversaries this year. We are, <laughs> um, and I think we're like just sh- uh, a month shy of um, of this original release because this was released on Valentine's Day, nineteen ninety two. It was uh, well, Valentine's Day just passed. So that's what I'm saying. We're about a month shy of just. Well, we're about a month past. Oh, did I say shy as in before? <laughs> As oh, we're just I, that's what coming I in before. Yeah, we, we came in. We did, we did it already. Valentine's Day's already came, but we're doing it right after. 
Yeah. So that's what I meant. All right. Yeah. Okay. Clearing We're doing everything up. We're Let's doing, start the show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're going to use take two. Tail slate this. Beep, beep, beep. Okay. We're doing Wayne's World this year. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> so for me, I remember growing up, this was a huge thing for me growing up because Saturday Night Live, you talked about in what cast? I don't remember what cast we were in, but you talked about your. Uh, making movies with your friends uh-huh. and the, the film studio you had up in all yes yes you know during your high school years and that was happened to me from in sixth grade my parents got a video camera for christmas and that was like the best thing and i guess it was probably because that year we ended up going to in january we went to disneyland and that's where the rocketeer uh-huh. that that you know so they probably got that knowing hey we're gonna go to fucking disneyland let's get a video camera yeah. so we can you know and then there's the a memories. funny story about those videos that you shot in disneyland well, what's the what's Isn't the like your dad's like Jesus Christ I can't watch this because she, she was like you were so shaky oh yeah yeah because well, I was yeah so he gave me the camera and then I just hold it because back then it was a huge you're, you're putting a camera on your shoulder it was yeah, one of the big yeah. guys so you know you're, I had no stability but I thought you meant my father what he would do is when he had the cameras he'd watch us but then if we were at the water park he'd go zoom up on like an ass and go look at that. <laughs> so <laughs> we all go back to watch that. I didn't even know about that but uh, I can see it yeah you know my father Uncle so we Pat. go back to watch the uh, he probably didn't even think that that was taping I don't know why so yeah. we go back and it's like oh god dad it's <laughs> <laughs> really uncomfortable with mom in the room <laughs> home videos yeah home videos just like it just turns into <laughs> fetish films so um yeah, so we got the video camera, and that opened a whole new door for my friend and I, Martin McHugh. We started doing all these videos, and we did one video uh, uh, spoofed. Our first video was America's Most Wanted, and that became very controversial, which is a story I won't get into on this cast, but it got so much so that we had to have like a meeting at school about it and all this kind of thing. It was this big... Yikes. It was very salacious at the time for sixth grade. And then uh, we started doing Saturday Live skits, because for us... Mm-hmm. I-, I first discovered Saturday Live in about fifth grade, which was about 1989 for us. And uh, I never heard of it. And somebody one day in school said, hey, I saw this thing on Saturday Night Live the other night. And I was like, what's Saturday Night Live? What is this Saturday Night Live you speak of? And he told me it's just live. And he tried to explain it to me. And I remember this day, my first inkling of thinking about it in my head it was that, like, it's somebody up on stage, like, with, you know, like, with the curtain behind you. And it's almost like, you know, you're, like, doing, like, a, like an audition at, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, a, like yeah. a prothenium arch stage, <laughs> you know. And I was yeah. like, wow. So I went and watched it, found out when it was on. I watched it that night. And then... St- that night I started watching it. I watched it for probably the next, well into college. And that was a staple for me every Saturday night. Yeah. It was like, that was my, the highlight of my week. You know, I would, I, I remember gauging time by watching Saturday Night Live. Like I remember uh, watching an episode and then they're like, in two weeks, MC Hammer will musically perform. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, two weeks. And then when two weeks went by, I was like, oh, that was two weeks. You know, so it's like, it's so <laughs> weird. You know, it's just, it's yeah. so weird. The memory, I always associate memories with like, with moments. Sure. And Saturday Night Live was huge for me. And that was the years of like Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Jan yeah. Hooks, uh, John Lovitz was still there, Dennis Miller, you know, all the great you know, uh, people. And then into the early 90s, you got like, you know, that's when Chris Farley and, and Tim Meadows and uh, David Spade, all these guys joined. So it was huge. And I remember doing Santa Live skits. We, me and my friend Martin, we did Wayne's World before the movie came out. We did like, I was, I remember like um, uh, making fun of like George Bush Sr. I did, we did like a, like a political skit where I'm George Bush <laughs> yeah. Sr. And then I remember we did a church lady skit. You know, church lady was huge at the time, the Dana Carvey uh, character. So when this movie came out in 1992, this was like speaking right to us. And it was like, oh my God, you know, I'm watching Santa Live. There is a, uh, a Wayne's World sketch on Santa Live. They're making a movie for this. And that freaking thing came out, and I remember uh, being in Boston at the time. We were, we were uh, in 1992. 
we were going for like a, maybe a three or four day trip and we went out to the store and I picked up a book, which was a Wayne's World book. And I picked up like the Nirvana single, Nevermind. And on the B side, it was uh, even, in, even in his youth. And I remember listening to that, see, uh, that tape, the single back by back and looking at that Wayne's World book. And to surprise Blake, oh. I have brought with me the original book I had when I got. Wow, look at this baby. Look at this, look at this thing. Stream close up. Yeah, Wayne's that's the name World. of the book. Yeah, pretty good condition. For some reason, when I was little, I put that in Looks a plastic bag. Looks like it's bag. about, I don't know, a 10 by 10 square? Yeah, I'd say that. Book? And it's one of these weird, it's just with the marketing campaign of Wayne's World. You know, it's really... Flip through. It's really nonsensical. It's just a, like, it's one of these books of like, you know, I think I got it at a Walden Books in the comedy section, you know, and it's yeah, like... Yeah, oh, good old Walden Books. Yeah, you remember Walden Books. And it's like just a book about like, you know, how to say things, what to do, pictures of hot women, and it's just, it's really odd. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not specifically for the movie. It's for the sketch. Yeah. Or the character of Wayne and Garth. The characters of Wayne and Garth. So I had that thing. I loved that thing for about six months. And then I think, you know, by the time... Wayne's World, extreme close-up. Whoa! Ah! I love you. And it's like, I think, I don't know how long, but by the, but by the time Wayne's World 2 came out, I don't think I've ever seen that movie all the way through. I was kind of out of it by then. You know, I, mean, I was still watching Saturday Night Live, but I think I, I moved on with There's my... There's a top ten heroes list there is for wayne number Probably 10 coming in at number 10 yeah robert plant wow uh number nine mother Teresa. wow we're gonna do all these <laughs> go <laughs> number eight mel blank sweet number seven moses okay uh number six which is a little reference to the movie today uh stan makita okay yeah yeah who is donut the same makita's donut shop but he was a chicago blackhawks player yeah uh, Steven Tyler, yep. Claudio Schiffer, yep. Fred Flintstone. What number is that? That's number three. Yeah. Thomas Paine. Sweet. <laughs> okay. Author of Rights of Man. And number one, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne, of course. I thought Wayne Gretzky. The great one. It. Well, that's another one to... to uh, the great one. It's like Jackie Gleason. They say the great one. I'm like, Jackie Gleason was a great <laughs> one. It's like they say Mark Levin, the great one. I'm like, it's Jackie Gleason. But Wayne Gretzky also. I'm like, it's Jackie Gleason. But that's another thing where prior to the movie, they had these really famous like, instances that happened on Wayne World, the Wayne's World the sketch. Like one of the v- very famous episodes was at the time in 89, like Aerosmith was freaking huge. You know, yeah, Pump yeah. was out and Jenny's got a gun. They had the, uh, the Ethan, um, what's his face? Ethan Cohen video that he was in for Jenny's got a gun. And they, Tom Hanks was the... I remember that. You remember sketch. that episode? Yeah, mm-hmm. where Tom Hanks was hosting that he's week. He's like the roadie. And he's the roadie, and Aerosmith's up in their kitchen, and then they come down and they jam out to, to, with, with Wayne's World, and, and yeah, Tom Hanks plays the roadie. And then there's another sketch where with Madonna doing the truth, spoofing Truth for the Dare, which was like 1990, and then also her Justify My Love video, which was very controversial because at the time it was deemed MTV wouldn't play it because it was bordering like X-rated or NC-17. Yeah. And so they made a, a, a spoof on that, you know, so there was a lot, a lot of, and then the famous Gretzky where he challenges Gretzky and then and they do a one-on-one and Wayne wins against Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Campbell wins against Wayne yeah, Gretzky. Yeah. And uh, so it's like these very famous sketches and it was huge and then for them to come out with this movie, it was like, it hit, like, you, like it hit us at the right time or hit me at the right time being yeah, a Silent yeah. fan. And then I think unlike you, well, when I get into high school and I got into movies, I kind of drifted away from making movies, so mm-hmm. to speak, with my friends. I would still do things on my own, but then I really didn't start making movies again until we got into college. Yeah. So my years of making movies was like sixth grade to like ninth grade. Yeah, yeah. You know, doing like, and, and all mine were comedy skits. We were making Sound Live episodes, you know, aside from the first speed in America's Most Wanted Us, but it was a spoof, yeah. you know. So 
unlike you, you were doing like serious genre pictures. Yeah, well, I also like your years are six to ninth, and then my years of making movies are like nine through twelve. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I was a little you bit went older. To like college, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't think you're in the minority though. I think people that did that kind of stuff made these kind made like home movie type things with their friends. I think a lot of it was kind of a sketch comedy, yeah, type thing. We did very little of that kind of stuff. Yeah, when we dove in, it was you know like serious, dra- like crime dramas or just thriller. <laughs> I mean, so they were funny, but they weren't meant to be comedic. Yeah, we, we did a a uh, a Vietnam movie, Vietnam War movie. You were, but you were what you ended up doing. You were copying the movies you were seeing. So like you'd see like Reservoir Dogs, and you go like do a Reservoir Dogs movie. You'd see yeah, like Breakfast yeah. Club, and you do a Breakfast Club movie. There was you'd a couple like, a, like we did. You know, a, like I think like we what did, you were watching was influencing. We, what yeah, you were. when we did, I told when we did Breakfast Club on the show. When we talked about Breakfast Club on the show, I think I talked about how we did like our own Breakfast Club. Um, it was more like the kinds of movies we were watching influenced the kinds of things we were doing. Very few times did we actually try to do. The Breakfast Club was one. The Body to Die For, the Aaron Henry story. No, oh, you love that with Ben Affleck. <laughs> yes. But someone just brought up the HBO that? special with Ben Affleck. Somebody brought up HBO specials. And there was because there's a couple of really. It's not just the Ben Affleck. Oh, no, there was good. There was a great one. There was a great one with. Uh, but I'm saying other Sam famous people. Rockwell. Yeah. Uh, Clarissa Flockhart was on one. Uh, there was a lot of great ones. But those are the only instances where we actually. Just kind of redid our own versions, but you're right. I mean, things like quit being into Quentin Tarantino definitely influenced that we did, like, and being into Scorsese, those influenced the kinds of things we were doing at the time. But we didn't do a lot of. Uh, we were like the canon direct of Albany. Spoofing. Yeah, we were doing like mockbusters. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you were but like Asylum Pictures. The first one I Bollywood. did. The first one I did was called. Uh, actually, I had nothing to do with anything that we were watching at the time. We did a movie called To Kill a Ninja. To kill a ninja, and it was about uh, Atticus Ninja. What's going on? <laughs> it was a, it was about uh, some ninja loose and two bounty hunters trying to, or at least maybe one bounty hunter trying to trying to capture him. And the the, the other thing is that in the woods, uh, and you're, I mean, my typically, you know, I'd have my friends over. Once I, my, my other friend, Chris Campitaro, who was also part of this, his parents had a camera earlier on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his had like, a, he had like more of an 80s camera. My camera was an 89. It was like a, you know, it was like, or 90, you know, it was like a more of a 90s, sure. like streamlined. So his was a little more bulky and they wouldn't let him use it as much. And I never did anything with him, but Martin, and when he'd slept over my friend's Chris's house, they do stuff. And it's funny that they did a Geraldo Rivera spoof back then. And it's funny that I know Geraldo Rivera now. So it's yeah, all, yeah. it all comes around in this weird kind of thing. So, but they would come over my house and typically they both would sleep over or say just Martin would sleep over and we would go down the basement, get the video camera and we would just go crazy to the point where my parents would like, Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's one in the morning. It's too late. You got to go to bed. When's it going to end? So point to all this is that like usually everything would get done in that night. You know, we never let anything carry over because then you lose the magic. And then by the morning, you gotta, the kids got to go. You're getting up. You're tired. So, you know, we never really yeah. continue on. But would you film everything in one night or one weekend? Or would you? Would this become like a continued? Uh, the first two different things we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, there were some that were all done in one time. Our first horror movie, which I think we talk about a little bit in, a ma- in the Mouth of Madness, because yeah. that's what inspired us to do our first home. That we did in one night. Um, pretty early on, we, we learned that we could split it up. 
To Kill a Ninja was shot in like one afternoon. And then one of the next movies was called Hitman and or Hitman. No, Hitman. And that was a big that was like, you know, like we talk about uh, like the great train robbery or whatever. Yeah. As being like that's when parallel action was invented in cinema. Yeah. The idea of. Wait, you can cut back and forth to one thing? Nobody had thought about doing that in cinema. Yeah, something's <laughs> happening in one place and then you cut, and you're showing cut to what's place. happening at the same time in a different place. It, it's weird to, you know, when you go back and you start to study these old silent movies in the beginning of, of cinema, you don't think like somebody had to invent this film language. Yeah, I mean, and it seems common sense now, but nobody had ever done it. That yeah, way. and then there's, I mean, even to the Great Train Robbery at the end with, with uh, you know, when the guy's shooting into the, you know, that's, yeah. that's spoofed in the end of Goodfellas with. Uh, yeah, what's his face doing it? Uh, Pesci, but people like screamed and yelled because it's like the, <laughs> it's the idea of that when the train yeah. dro- they had a, a thing a, a train driving into but, a station. So Hitman was, I think, the first one where we realized. I think we shot it in two days. Yeah, uh, and there's also a scene where I like shoot myself as two different characters, and we weren't using an editing. This was all in camera editing. You know, we would, yeah, but it course. was like, I would shoot up in the bedroom and then I'd run down, put on like change my clothes <laughs> and then get, and then get, and then get shot, uh, downstairs. But that was, <laughs> Hitman was like our, our in, discovering film language yeah. for ourselves. Like, oh, I, like through editing, I can shoot myself Yeah, or we can start shooting tomorrow where we leave off, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, see, while ours typically went one night, usually at night because it was a sleepover, as well as since it's, we're doing sketch comedy, yeah. there was really no format. Yeah, you know, we yeah. didn't have any, we didn't really do any lines. It was just a premise. Who are you going to be? Who I'm going to be? What's the situation? And they'd be like more of an improv, you know? Yeah. And then we, and then a lot of times, you know, the camera would just be stationary. You had to put it on a tripod because nobody, sure. you know, if, if, if there's only two of you there. So it's a very, sadly, it's just like a long, like a, like a big wide shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, or... Uh, <laughs> another fun thing we do is where you know it's like two characters would be in the scene at the time, and then you'd see the third guy crawling in <laughs> and showing up, and then he'd leave, and then he'd operate the camera, and then when somebody else would, leave, you know, so it's all yeah, going yeah. on. So anyway, so this was all like at the time, and for me, not so much now, but back in the day, not at all now, but back in the day, Saturday Night Live was like my yeah. shit. I, now, I think it's interesting because this is one of those. Uh, I think this is one of those things I've said it before, you know, using the analogy of, you know, your the best pizza to you is the pizza you grew up with. Like you compare that to everything else. And we in Batman, we talk about now we look back and everybody remembers Michael Keaton as being a great Batman. But at the time, everybody was like, fuck it, Michael Keaton. Is Mr. Mom. This is I, this instance of like Saturday Night Live at this period, I think, is is a, is an example of these kinds of things. Because my recollection of this period of Saturday Night Live was that people fucking hated it. Really? That everybody was like, "This is these guys. This cast is awful. This that's, shit's not funny." <laughs> that's funny because on my reverse, it's and like I just remember, I remember that that was like the general consensus, and of course that consensus was from people that were you know where their Saturday Night Live was Belushi. Yeah. And an Ackroyd. See, I agree with you there. Once that era left, there was a really weird time in the mid-80s on Senate Live where you have people like um, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe Egg Bagley Jr., but that could be wrong. But what's-her-face, Maria Louise Dreyfus, is that her name? Yeah, from yeah. Um, San- Well, right Seinfeld. after you have, like, the Piscopo. You have, yeah, Piscopo and Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. They 
save it, I think, from like. And then you're right. Then there's this period where you have like Anthony Michael Hall, yeah, Robert Downey Jr., Randy Quaid, yeah, and and you and then I think at that time, like you know, that's when Phil Hartman joins, and you know, Bill Billy Crystal is leaving, and I have a guy who I work with who worked on the first two seasons of Saturday Night Live, and he tells me these old stories where it's like you know, I forget now who the original star of the first episode was but it was going to be billy crystal until the very last minute and then they they said to no to billy crystal for some other reason and billy crystal i feel like it might be george carlin but i I, I that's that's a guess see i should have went and talked to the guy because he's told me so much about this and then billy crystal got so mad at lauren michaels that they didn't talk for how many years and finally back in 81 or 82 he was like hey come back you know and then because there was also a period of time there where lauren michaels left yes and that's the time i think after I think that was. I see. I don't know my t- my dates, but I, I was thinking that's the time when it was after like the Piscopo Eddie Murphy. I don't I don't know, but you're yeah. right. He left for a certain amount of time and came back. But for me, my general consensus is like the early John Lovitch years, the early all those times when Anthony Michael Hall and all that was on until like '88 when you get. F- Mike Myers shows up, Dana Carvey's there, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, uh, Kevin Nealon showing up. Uh, and Mike Myers need to cover like featured players. That's when it really gets good, and you get these these epic things into the '90s, and then the next generation is the Chris yeah. Farley and you know and and oh, Tim Meadows and all those guys, and you know freaking what's his face, um, uh, Rob Schneider. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for me, yeah, late like '89. But there was a time in the mid '80s that I think the overall yeah. consensus was this 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 show sucks. Yeah. You know, but I mean out of that there's some very funny sketches. I mean too, you know, that like you know a lot, like Phil Hartman and and certainly like John Lovitz and all them were doing like their damnedest back then, you know. And then like when I was when I started watching, you had like, you know, Mike Myers doing Middle-aged Man, that skit. You have like Tunes is the Driving Cat. You have um Church Lady was big. You know, you have all these so iconic that like a lot of people won't know now. I mean, you don't really rerun middle-aged man sketches or yeah, touches yeah. the driving cat sketches. We only remember specific ones. And I guess it's like us going and thinking about people who were watching it when it first came on this, the scene Saturday live to see like the sketches that were like the, uh, you know, like the samurai, you know, guy sure. cutting the meat, you know what I mean? I personally, I mean, I watched it, you know, I, I watched it a lot during this time period. Um, but I'll be completely honest. With you, I was never a fan. No. Of it. Like, I watched it, but I was never... Were the, you into comedy this, shows? Yeah, like Sketch. I guess I liked yeah. The Living Color. Yeah, see, yeah. And I, stuff like that. But, I mean, I, I never really found, to this day, even now, I don't really find Saturday Night Live all that funny. Oh, I, you know, When I watch the old stuff, yeah. the early stuff, I don't really find that stuff all that funny. <laughs> I understand that it's a reflection of the time and its importance and, and everything, but uh, it's it was never something that appealed to me all that much. Yeah. I think, for me, it hit because I, I guess at the time I was underst- I was coming into that understanding, the adolescence of 12, 13, and, and for, it, for me it was prior to then in Living Color. So when, when in Living Color came on the scene, I was kind of skeptical to watch it. And then I got into it. And there was like two kinds of camps. What do you like, Saturday Live or Living Color? And I like both. But then by the time Mad TV came on, I never watched any of Mad TV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I didn't care for it. I just stayed. The I Saturday didn't watch Live. Mad TV until. I mean, I guess every once in a while you'd get a sketch that would get talked about. But then again, the internet really wasn't even around. Yeah, I mean, I can't. So even it wasn't tell like you, you could go revisit TV it. I've watched. Like I never, I missed all that kind of a thing. Uh, but then I fell out of Senate Live, like probably like you know in Will Ferrell's prime when he was leaving, and then now I just I don't find it funny at all. Yeah, you know, sadly. But you know, I guess it's it's to each his own. 
but at, at this time I was I was loving it and I was really into that was that was the shtick I was into doing funny things I was a I was trying to be a funny guy I liked that kind of thing we did stuff with my friends that were like comedic sketches so Saturday Night Live was my shit and everybody I knew liked Saturday Night Live yeah. you know and that was the thing to watch and then all you know and then also you know that was when the Arsenio Hall show was huge so I was watching Arsenio Hall every night so it was very great to be topical and that and it's funny to think about today I don't really know what the hell's going on in modern you know the parlance of modern pop or whatever you yeah, call yeah. it but back then when I was like you know, 11, 12, I'm watching the Arsenio Hall show, so I'm seeing who's coming on every night for what movies they're pumping or shows or music. And then at the same time, I, I know what's going on on Saturday Live for people who are coming on and what they're pumping because of the guest hosts and the music. So, you know, it's so weird to think that, you know, you were seeing things live or seeing stuff happen that are now, say, classics that at the yeah. time were just, you know. I was a fan of Late Night Wise uh, around that time. John Stewart had a show. John Stewart show. Well, yeah, <laughs> it was a late night show, and I like that show. Yeah, I mean, that might have been right after Arsenio, though, because I'm trying to think of like what channel it would have aired on, and it must have aired on the same channel of Arsenio, unless it was after Arsenio. I don't know. I remember when Arsenio kind of went away right around that time. Is right when I discovered kind of Conan. I remember like yeah. I think Danny DeVito was on promoting Hoffa, and that's like ninety. Two or ninety one, and I remember one night flicking through. I was in, I was big into Hoffa, and then I saw him on. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then it's he's on, and that was the first time I'd ever seen Conan O'Brien on. Yeah, you know, and Arsenio was this huge thing that was like lightning at the bottle. We had talked about last week. We did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and when we were saying how iconic, you know, those characters, Freddie and all of them were, and and to 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 uh, agree with that, you, you had when I think it's Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Jason goes to Manhattan. He goes on the Arsenio Hall show as Jason, uh, yeah, what's his yeah. Kane Hutter, yeah. you know, and he's and he shows up as Jason, and um, maybe the, the Freddie, Michael, or Robert England did the same thing, but that's how big and Arsenio was huge. I mean, Clinton went on, and you know, when he was uh, trying to go against uh, Bush Senior sure. for re-election, and then that was another thing, which is it's 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 odd where I ended up working in in cable news and having to be uh, see that every day because back in the day I was watching stuff because of Saturday Night Live I knew who Ross Perot was I knew who yeah. Bill Clinton was because I was I was watching them spoof satire all these campaigns and stuff and like you know there's the really famous sketch where they did they made fun of the the presidential debate where you have on stage it's Ross Perot Bush Sr. Bill Clinton and um is there a third person no maybe it's the three of them but Dana Carvey's playing two different characters Dana Carvey's playing Ross Perot and Bush Sr. so they had to tape one of them and yeah, Phil yeah. Hartman's playing uh Bill Clinton you know, and it's and that's a, a very hilarious. And I believe in the wide shots, it's David Spade as is it, as, as one of as those. one of yeah yeah, and, and it's it's hilarious. You know, and then of course Church Lady. And I remember him. You know, Dana Carvey plays drums, and you know, and people are like he plays drums. I'm like, yeah, I remember Church Lady playing drums. <laughs> yeah, real yeah. famous Dana. Uh, you know, Danny DeVito came on to do like a Christmas time thing, and they did like a Rock Around the Clock or something or Christmas. You know, but so this movie hit for me like the perfect time. I remember like having the poster. Sure. Two in my room, and I never I, that's something I hadn't thought about until you know I went and looked at it. Yeah. It came up, and I'm like, holy crap, I, I remember staring at this for so many years. Yeah, yeah, so I must have had the poster up until college. So I guess I either got it from my friend of mine who lived near me who worked at Blockbuster, or I went and bought it myself. But and I had a Wayne's World hat that I never wore, but like you know, I had in my room that yeah. like collected dust that was like a baseball hat, you know. And it's one of these things where it's like this held such an esteem for me, but. I must have got out of it so quick because I haven't seen this movie in 20 plus years as well as, 
you know, I had no interest in it probably in high school or going into college. So I guess maybe since when, yeah. when I started getting into, you know, Scorsese, Goodfellas, Casino, and all that Tarantino, uh, you know, uh, indie movies and all, you know, older movies that this kind of fell by the wayside. So, well, this movie, maybe even, I mean, look, there's the, the, not even an argument. It's true that every piece of art, we talk about film here, uh, is a reflection of the time and, and, and everything. But, this movie, possibly more than any other movie we've done so far, is so perfectly a time capsule of the early 90s. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, there argue uh, it's that way for everything we're doing. But this one, for some reason, it was like we were, you kind of alluded to it that we were talking before we started recording. And I said, this movie is like it hit at the exact right time. That it needed to. And and captured the imagination of the exact right age group. And it's and it that age group loved it, but it it was you're right, there wasn't like longevity for for that love. By the time the second one came out, I don't remember seeing the second one. I've never seen the second one. I'll tell you to this day. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through, but I will say one of the funniest moments I think in cinema history occurs in the second one where it's at the end of the movie, he's running to save. Maybe it's Tia Carrera, I forget. She's getting married to maybe Christopher Walken, the villain. And he's trying to, in their homage in uh, The Graduate, where he's driving and misses her up. So he gets to the gas station. He's looking to go to Alameda. And he goes to the gas station and he goes, you know, do you know how to get to Alameda? And it's this old guy. And he's like, Alameda, I once had a friend in Alameda. And then he looks at the camera. He's like, listen, I know this is a bit part, but can't we get someone better? <laughs> so the a guy comes and moves him off. And then the old guy leaves and, and walks in Charlton Heston. Charlton's like, Alameda, I had a girl in Alameda. Every time I think of that girl in Alameda and the promise I made. And it cuts back to uh, Mike Myers. He's crying. <laughs> and he goes, thank you for the directions. And he leaves. And it's like that's the whole movie makes that makes it. But I don't think I've ever – I didn't see it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, it, and the movie – this movie here, Wayne's World, like you said, is a perfect microcosm or a perfect uh, uh, time uh, – bubble of what yeah. 92 was like but at the same time it's the accomplishments were kind of amazing that you have to really concede that this thing i mean it got like phrases into popular culture that uh were huge in the 90s i mean it did so many things it, it yeah. brought like you know the queen song bohemian 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 rhapsody back into yeah. the queen had a huge renaissance in the early 90s because of this yeah it's just so much stuff that this movie did and accomplished and Watching it now, to me, it's extremely dated because it's, one, because of the baggage I bring with it. It's early 90s. I'd seen it probably 700 times when it came out on video. Sure. I hadn't seen it since then. But at the same time, I think it, like, accomplishes, it does it so well. Like, the fourth wall breaking, I think, has done great. Yeah. You know, the story, it's funny. Like, like all these movies we revisit now, they just, it, they, it goes so much quicker than I remember it going. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? This movie only seems to be like an hour and 25 minutes, you know, and it, and it flows. And it's just like, it's so weird to me, you know? Yeah. I think a, a couple interesting things about it. One, it's the first Saturday Night Live movie since the Blues Brothers. I know. In that's 19, crazy. In 1980. So you think about, and that's something I used to not realize when I was little. I used to think all the National Lampoon movies were associated, and they're not. Yeah. You know, just because some of the cast are, or, or even Ghostbusters, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you get a lot of these movies where these cast members, like Neighbors or whatever the hell you you, you, you come out with, that these, but they're not anyway Lauren Michaels. 
Yeah. Or even if Saturday Night Live, you know, maybe Lorne Michaels may be producing it or something, but Saturday Night Live doesn't have anything to do with it. And yeah. you're right. The Blues Brothers were, uh, were were characters that were originated. And that was Saturday huge, too. Blues Brothers at the time, when that ended up coming out, they toured as the Blues Brothers. I mean, they did. Yeah. I mean, they still kind of tore now, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Jim Belushi. Yeah. Kinda still, but they've kind of got away with it, got away from it, and then I think they went back to it. But that was a huge thing in its own right, you know, the, the phenomenon the Blues Brothers had. But then it's weird that you think... After that, they wouldn't do anything else right after. I mean, there's so many well, characters. Yeah, but I guess you know? it's part of that. You but know, we're you th- talking about that. We were just talking about how, like, there was this big lull in. But you think about Saturday Night Live at the same time, though. In the mid-'80s, Martin Short was on Saturday Night Live, and he had that character. What's the dude oh, with Ed the, Grimley? Yeah, and that became a, car, a Saturday morning yeah. cartoon show. You yeah. know, and that in kind the of nineties. <laughs> was it the nineties? I thought it was the late eighties. It might have been in the late eighties. You know, I thought it was kind of giving Ernest P. Worrell a run for his money in that in that yeah. time slot. You know what I mean? So it's like. Uh, to me, it's so weird that there, Saturday Night Live was doing some stuff. I yeah. feel like there's other things they were doing as well. But it's, I mean, and then there's like the famous, you know, William Shatner going on and, and as Star Trek when he's doing TJ Hooker and he's like, you know, you, you got, you know, making fun of the Star yeah, Trek. Get a life. Yeah. You know, so, but it, it's weird. You think 12, it took 12 years for, for Saturday Night Live. The, the whatever yeah. to actually come to and make produce a movie. another movie, yeah, which they were skeptical about, but that ended up being the right decision. Well, you think so much of Saturday Night Live is the character. Well, maybe not even like the. I'll take that back. I was going to say so much of it's true that so much of the actual show is uh, reactionary to what's happening at the time. So you, it makes sense that there aren't a lot of things to spin off into like a motion picture that you were hoping was going to have longevity. But I guess a lot of the key characters, the main characters that are created for the show aren't, you know? So that's why I was like, I guess I'm contradicting myself there. Uh, Cause the show itself, it is. Cause you have the, you know, obviously there's all the political stuff. Uh, even, you know, uh, the, like annoying characters, yeah. Like and you, you know, Eddie Murphy, like Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood is. Yeah. I mean, it's a re, you know, it's parodying something else. Or buckwheat, you know. Yeah. All so kind of Frank so many things is so everything's so tied or, or parodying something else. But then you do have things like the Church Lady or the Blues Brothers weren't really parodying yeah. anything. They they were characters that kind of stood on their or the own. The Rob Schneider copy machine guy, or you know, Chris Farley having the the. the you know, the, the motivational speaker that, yeah. character. Or him having the show where, where it's him, the public access where he had people on. Remember when you were with the Beatles? <laughs> That's cool. You know, you had yeah, these classic, yeah. you know, or the ladies' man. You know, you have all these things, you know, that so came out. It's just, it's interesting that, you know, it, I think it took the right characters yeah. for them to decide, like, okay, these characters can be fleshed out into, like, a whole movie. Yeah. And so we have Wayne Campbell. And, oh, it's, it's, and I wonder if that's the first time you have established characters on Senate Live that you can kind of do that with. I mean, you had, like, the Bill Crystal, like, you look marvelous. And you and then going into the 80s, you have, like, you know, I'm trying to think of what recur. I mean, you have, like, say, Phil Hartman being Ronald Reagan, which is hilarious, but yeah, you can't yeah. sustain that in a movie. Yeah, that's what I mean. You, you, you can't have so, tunces. So many you know, are... So many are dependent on something else and then so many of the characters that aren't like what could the there, pop- there's like a there's they're a niche and they yeah. get like y- y- they have you like can't a have a whole movie being the guy like nerd the nerd <laughs> the nerdinator you know you can't do that you could it, uh, yeah but but i mean it, it some of it gets old i mean they ended up making like a you know Stuart Smalley movie yeah, yeah. And, they, and doing a pat movie and then they ended up doing even a Coneheads movie but it's like you think that yeah the, you know it, once you get past, you know, yeah, or these characters three dimensional enough to be able to sustain an hour and a yeah, half like long the night at the Roxbury. Yeah, you know, and and that's and 
as I think as you go on, they start making. But I wonder in the context of Saturday Night Live in nine in eighty nine when this when these skits started to premiere Wayne's World, if there was reoccurring characters, which I'm blinking on right now, that could have sustained that were past it being political or being you know kitschy yeah. or being like skits that they were they outsourced. Yeah, you know like Tunces or some or you know those commercials they would do, you know. But uh, or so maybe Ed Brimley could be an example. Yeah, of when yeah. did a cartoon of him, you know. Yeah. So I Grimley, mean, Brimley, Grimley. I think it's Grimley. Yeah, yeah. I must uh, say, <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, so it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out which direction to go. But you, Two, you, one, you can go in the direction of that. Like, this is actually not Wayne's Wayne Campbell was a character that was created actually before Michael My- that's Mike. The, Myers. That's the direction. See, we know each other so well. <laughs> Mike what, Myers yeah. was uh, on uh, Saturday Night Live, so he created this character for like sketch comedy stuff when he lived in Canada. When, yeah, because that's where he. You know, that's where he's from. And so Wayne Campbell actually makes his first appearances on a show called City Limits and then later on a show called It's Only Rock and Roll in 1987 in a sketch called Wayne's Power Minute. Yeah, and, and this is a, a, an example of Lorne Michaels getting a lot of his talent from, you know, up there in that area. Well, Second he's City. Canadian. Yeah, but all those people, you know, you get Dan Aykroyd up there and, all you know, there's, there's a whole, I mean, John Candy, who's never been on Silent Live, but you have all those yeah. people that he would get from. So going back up well, there. Well, there's those. Uh, that second city. Se- you get yeah. the second city and then you get the growlings. And those were all, those were really, you know, like there was always like the Chicago guys and there was the Canadian yeah, guys. Yeah, very, and a lot of that second and city to this stuff. day, a lot of the talent for Saturday Night Live kind of comes from those uh, improv sketch comedy groups like, yeah. like those. And, and even, and you know, people. A lot of people who listen to the show will probably remember. Then you had SCTV, which was that was huge. Which was Second City, yeah, which yeah. was a show created by Second City. And in uh, Wayne's Power Minute, which uh, maybe we'll put a link into a couple of these because I never really knew the, the history that far back. If we can find them, I don't. Yeah. Know. <laughs> well, there's a they're out there. There's a couple that are out there. It's him driving around like in a van, and it and it, so they they did it not in a, the ones I saw. They weren't in a studio. They were in like a conversion van. Yeah, you know, a real sweet ass van with like a moon like window in the back, and it's like. It, the van drives up and it's like Wayne's Power Minute and then it's like him sitting in the front seat turning around talking to you about stuff like but I guess the big distinction is it's Wayne Campbell alone it's not yeah. Garth and so when they go to Saturday Night Live they at the time Mike Myers maybe is still only a featured player Dana Carvey's huge kind of there as a, as compared to Mike Myers so they get uh, Mike My- or Dana Carvey who had a bigger uh, uh, star power at the time to be in these sketch- sketches with him and I wonder if this is a rivalry that develops. They, there's, you know I mean? there's talk of all that. this, yeah, all this backroom talk that that like Mike Myers didn't want to get upstage by Dana Carvey because Dana Carvey was more popular at the time. Yeah, you know, and that certainly, I mean, it does beg the question if we want to get into the politics of it down the road. Why didn't Mike Myers put Dana Carvey in any of the Power uh, Austin Powers movies? Because they were such a, you know, a, a comedic duo doing this. They were doing Sprockets together. I think Dana Carvey did some episodes of Sprockets when Mike Myers was Dita, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a, I think there is a couple episodes. Again, it's like I haven't thought of this in 20 years, but I think there's a couple skits that they're kind of together in, not as much as Wayne's World, but you would think if they're so tied, why wouldn't, hey, give him a, you know, offer him a bone and have him be something, you know? Because Dana Carvey's kind of career kind of flatlined. He did that movie in like 2000, 2001, which I cannot forget, the, remember the name of where he does all those impersonations. <laughs> yeah. That kind of yeah. came and went. And then he had some, health problems where he had like heart surgery and, and then they, they operated they bypassed the wrong fucking valve and he yeah and, and he then he had it corrected and then he got a shitload of money out of like a uh, one of those kind of suits against it and then you know he had like some comedy specials and you know he's kind of coming back now and doing stuff but like he kind of fell off the map for a little while when i would have thought 
back when I was little that Dana Carvey would have been the one to to yeah. climb and be the star, you know, instead of Mike Myers. So they end up they move this skit from uh, those shows on to Senate Live, and the first sketch airs, uh, Jesus, in the the eighty eight to eighty nine. Uh, season of Saturday Night Live so it's the 13th episode on that and I must have missed that one because I started watching in late 89 so uh, and then it, I don't know how many skits there were there's a whole bunch there's probably maybe 20 or 21 skits that they did uh, of, of and I mean it's funny back then like we said that you have uh, people like um, uh, Madonna and Wayne Gretzky coming on but you had also big names we said Tom Hanks but you had like Jan Hooks would come on and play uh Nancy, who was like one of their school babes. You had Phil Hartman coming on, playing Garth's father, Beeve. You had um, Ed O'Neill coming on, playing uh, a, a high school teacher, one of their high school teachers. And you'd every, so every time somebody would guest on the show, you would have, um, you know, they, they would somehow incorporate them into the Wayne's World sketch, which well, was kind of funny. that's the idea of the show, right? <laughs> Correct. But my point is that you're having these celebrities coming on and doing that kind of thing. That, yeah. you know, so, and then they end up uh, moving it along and, and coming out with this movie, you know, that in 1992, they end up fleshing out a movie about it, which is, you know, setting it in Aurora, which is like, what, 20 miles from Chicago or something like that, you know? But I don't know. Mike Vanderbilt. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, Mayor Vanderbilt <laughs> will know. You know. God damn you, Mike Vanderbilt. Yeah. I'm a big Waukegan fan because of Jack Benny, but I don't, after that in Chicago, I don't, my mind gets kind of uh, hairy, but I guess... You know, Mike Myers isn't from Aurora, never been there, didn't even film any of it there. Yeah, just like the way it sounded. Yeah, and, you know, and it's near Chicago, so it kind of works out good. Well, it's, uh, you know, let's see. It's, out of all the characters to spin off into a movie, I guess, I mean, it's a great idea for a show. I mean, for a movie. You know, that they're doing a show. Wayne and Garth have a public access show so like what can you do with that yeah if you're going to flesh out an actual narrative so the idea obviously is some uh you know tv show some chicago tv big show well that was big back then it's funny you think now the markets those were you know the markets died in the 2000s but those were like yeah you know like that's what the anchorman's about like if you were the, the local market was huge by yeah. big city which is now dead so you know? he's uh he's in bed with with a with a girl who's i don't know how to pronounce her first name unfortunately her, her name is is i-o i-o-n-e okay that's uh, her real name that's or that's her, the character no name? that's her real name yeah uh i own sky okay and other, you know, 80s movie romance fans like myself will know that she's from Say Anything with, uh, she's the main girl in Say Anything. Oh, he's holding the boombox up yeah. too? Yeah. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so she's been around. She's in a lot of stuff. She likes uh, Wayne's World on public access and, and Rob Lowe plays uh, a local television guy and he sees an opportunity to bring this to, out of public access cable to network to Chicago network television and so the basically that's the plot yes and uh, it's always the 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 hope to be if if it makes it in that local market that's big then it'll go national it could go national if you go national that's like you know that's great that's the best thing and so it's the uh the movie's about the shady television producers yeah (laughs) very much like uh (laughs) similar to our uh our uh what do you call no holds barred with the same guy yeah that one guy is he's the lead (laughs) and he's the bat he's the lead baddie in in uh in no holds barred that's looking to take hulk show and and the hulk hogan and turn him into like a monster and you know uh 
He's yeah. um, um, Rob Lowe's uh, number one man in this movie, which is funny. He's you know he has a conversion in the, by the end of the movie, and yeah. it's and, but I'm surprised watching it now how much the the story kind of holds up, and it's not you know I, I don't feel like it's dated in the sense where it's like ah eh, you know I mean it's it's for what it is it's it works it's funny and like I said the fourth wall that yeah. breaking him well, here's the thing. Know, I love it, all that it's dated in a different way than some of the other things we watch is date are dated yeah um you know clearly no holds barred is dated and yeah. maybe another movie that like I said is a perfect example of this weird time capsule of a certain time period uh but Wayne's World is dated for me in a less in like a technical way compared to the other stuff and more of like a nostalgia way. A cultural way. Like it's so, you know, watching it, it's almost like you. I haven't seen this. It's 20, it's celebrating a 25th anniversary. Like I haven't a month seen, ago. Yeah. I haven't seen this movie in at least 20 years. Yeah. So, and it was huge, even though I wasn't that big of a Saturday Night Live fan. Like I said, I watched Saturday Night Live. I didn't have cable. So, you know, if I was going to watch a movie on Saturday night, on Saturday night, I watched television on Saturday night. That's what I was watching. You know, there was nothing. I was going to watch Nightline yeah. as like a tw- as a ten year old kid. I did that. Ten- I grew, I used to <laughs> Friday nights watch Twenty Twenty. I'd sit there playing well, my I toys. Watched 20, and I watched Twenty Twenty. I watched Twenty Twenty because my you mom. Hugh Downs or my, Walters. My parents watched. No, I I watched it on my own. So, um, <laughs> you know, so I watched yeah. it all the time, and then I have very fond memories of watching Saturday Night Live, and then after Saturday Night Live on, on like the Fox affiliate in local the reruns of Tales from the Crypt would come on. Oh. So I'd watch Saturday Night Live with my parents, and then we'd watch Tales from the Crypt until like 2 in the morning yeah. on Saturday nights. And uh, Well, that's then like, I guess, a little more into the 90s then, because, you know, I, I don't know, when when did they first start syndicating on uh, on Fox? Um, it was the 90s. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm just thinking, because I, I would think they had a little run of Tales from the Crypt before they started syndicating. Sure, like, sure. You know? I mean, I'm not talking about, yeah. you know, this was well in the 90s. But so, like, I watched Saturday Night Live, even though it was... You know, like I said earlier, it was not really. I didn't. didn't I didn't love it, but I watched it and I enjoyed it just fine. I I enjoyed the Wayne's World, and there was the character that Mike Myers played, where he's like the hyper kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and stuff. So I I watched all that stuff. So Wayne's World came out, and I was as into it as anybody else. It it was huge for our for our generation. I mean, even overseas, I mean, people like the United Kingdom didn't even have Saturday Night Live, but they had Wayne's World, and they knew it. Yeah. It's so it, it's funny that it makes this international, you know. But specifically, I think that that's the thing is like it was our, but why I don't think the sequel did as well because it was like it was marketed to like early to mid teens. Yeah, and which is like the or core, even I think people which is your core audience I would for say, movie going. I would actually say it was marketed to like the demo of like thirteen to like forty five because now watching it now there are, are references I didn't get back then, but there's yeah. so many like you know being. Twenty-five-year-old yeah. or twenty-year-old in that time, you were you were loving all the references to rock and because back that time, people weren't really listening to that. Well, people were, but and you know, Guns N' Roses was huge at that time, and and you know, certainly Queen wasn't popular. So I think there was a lot of throwback to Mike Myers, the age he was, and yeah, Dana Carvey yeah. to that youth. You know what I mean? For people who yeah. grew up in the seventies and eighties, so I think it did appeal to them too. But certainly, you know, twenty-five or under thirty what it was marketed to specifically teens. You know what I mean? I, I think you're right. It hit that. I mean, I think it was, yeah. I mean, I think it was, you know, clearly their, their Dana Carvey and Mike Myers uh, and, you know, their, their intentions, I don't necessarily think are 
how the movie is marketed. Like the humor is very juvenile. Yeah. And I don't know if a 25, you're right. I mean, there's references because they're, they're, they're characters that are older than we are. So it's clearly they're not referencing, you know, the, they're, they're, the things they're referencing aren't what would be popular if you were 13 at that time. They're referencing things that from their youth, but I th- I don't, I personally don't, and this is just a, an opinion. I don't think like a twenty-five-year-old guy would have thought that movie was as funny as a twelve-year-old kid. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I disagree, though. I think that it's weird for the time period of the early '90s. I think a lot of those jokes, being as juvenile as they were, yeah. became into the lexicon and were said. To the point where you know people were like, nah, you know, like it I became. Know, but they were said you know, by teenagers. I know, but I think they were also Not, said. I don't. Think, I, I do. I, I think, think they were people. I, I disagree. Oh, we're gonna yeah, have to respectfully yeah. disagree. I think that. I don't was think it was as people spanning of a because it became the the the, the verbiage in this movie became so popular. I mean, you know, all these people saying all this shit, you know, especially uh, you know, early, young adults. That's my opinion. That I think I young know. adults were saying, but also you know, at the same times, like how many young adults did we know? Like, how, where, where's the proof that young adults were saying that? Well, because I, I mean, it's just it was so. It was, I mean, like things like swing and stuff were popular in school. Yeah, but I think still people, you know, in the early twenties and that, like in colleges, this was all just as big. Getting out of high school. I mean, I'm not talking about people. Like, I guess not over twenty five. Then maybe I was saying thirty originally, but I, I, I would yeah. say people in college. Or, yeah, you know, but that's twenty one. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I would say people in their twenties were maybe you know. I, yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't, I was saying it that doesn't the, really the, matter. I'm just saying it was very. It was a very. It was it was so perfect for the time that even two course. years later. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. It, it was like it had t- its time had. I don't know passed. when. I don't know when Wayne's World two came out, but like uh, I feel like our whoever it was aimed at was like just too old for it by the time the second one yeah, came out. Yeah, as well as I think other things were, you know, since so much was happening in the 90s, you know, by a year or two, it's already past its mark. It's yeah. already dated, you know. It, that's, I guess, the example with Wayne's World too. It doesn't come out do as well as the first. But for know? me, it was like, it's like not even so much, you know, some things are dated when you watch them in that the way people dress or... The cars and this movie, obviously, there's a little bit of that, but much less so for me. Dated in in a very personal way of just remembering the movie. Yeah, like like you, I'd seen this movie a million times. I had it on VHS when it came out. I had the tape of the soundtrack. The soundtrack I had too was amazing. It was a big deal. Yeah, and so like watching it, it's as as I'm watching this movie, it's like the next thing. Is re-entering my memory. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You figure what you're <laughs> you doing. You know, one thing is triggering. Yeah. It's like I'm watching the movie, almost uh, the movie that's playing on television as we're as you and I are watching it is like is a delay because yeah. the one thing is triggering the next. I mean, memory. Is... So, like in my head, I'm I'm one joke ahead of everything. <laughs> I know. As we're watching, because it was like, oh yeah, and like the lines and and the. The actual, all of the silly things that Garth says were such a big deal. Yeah. You know, even it's like, if you're going to spew, spewing this. You know, that yeah. was like people saying that in I like school. the play, yeah, and all that. Yeah, all those kind of, it, it, all, certainly almost every, you know, uh, it became so mar- memorable, every yeah. line they said. You know, and then in the context of the time, I mean, Terminator 2 was out at the time. Yeah. And they're spoofing Terminator 2 in this. It's, it, I, 
for me, if if you took Terminator Two out of here, I wouldn't even think it was in the era of Terminator Two. Yeah, because Terminator Two for me is like a whole other era of, of movie making. So it's weird that this came out six months later than or seven or eight months later than Terminator Two. You know, because yeah. we're already getting to that era of movie making and True Lies coming out and all this stuff and Last Action Hero and Jurassic Park. I mean, I think maybe is Jurassic Park right around the corner then? You know what I mean? So like, I guess I mean that's that's that summer. I thought it was ninety three. Maybe I don't know. But I don't, yeah, I don't remember either. But it's like you know, it's it's amazing to think. I wonder how long this really sat on the. I on mean, the True Lies is certainly after because Tia Carrera's in that, and this yeah, was yeah. the first thing where every. I mean, she was in stuff before this, but this was this movie really introduced her as yeah. like a. No. Well, she kind of came and went too. I never really saw her much after True Lies. Yeah, I think she was. You she know, did like that, she did like an issue of Playboy when we were in yeah, college. Yeah. And, and I don't know if she got into like B movies and then you know where she kind of went. But, I mean, I never personally even care for her, really, as a leading lady. I mean, people were, like, head over heels for her. I'm like, eh, she's not really my type, I guess. I don't know. There's you know. a couple of scenes in this, though, where she's pretty hot. Oh, yeah, she's hot as hell. <laughs> the ending with her and Rob Lowe, that one scene, steals the show. Yeah, yeah. You know, with her in the, in the alternate ending, you yeah. know. But, so, yeah, like you said, so Rob Lowe comes. He, he persuades, um, what's his name, uh, Brian Doyle Murphy, uh, Murray, Bill Murray's brother, to, who's, who's a – uh, financial backer to, to finance the show and be the uh, the sponsor, and then he goes and convinces them to come to the big city of Chicago, move out of uh, Wayne's basement. It's and, and that's another funny trivia that you never get to see Wayne's parents. Yeah, yeah. and and I don't no, I don't think you even see Wayne's parents in the skits. Although you think about the the episode where. Aerosmith's hanging out upstairs in their kitchen. In the kitchen, I, I have a memory of like the mom giving them coffee, but then no, that wouldn't have worked because then. Yeah. But I remember they're all hanging out upstairs. Like that's the green room is, is his kitchen, you know, around the, the the breakfast table. So you never see his parents, and they move to the big city Chicago to do these skits, and then slowly you get to see what happens. I mean, it, it, it is a very conventional plot that you know that that all these elements come in. You have the sponsor making demands, and then you have the producer going to take over and take the show and then once they clash well then you know what you signed a contract without a lawyer present so you, you don't even have rights <laughs> to your show yeah i mean no know? it's it's a total it's, very, it's totally conventional you know, uh, and it's wise. funny too because but it works you know and then to what you were saying a couple minutes ago of who it was geared to even though uh wayne and garth or mike myers and dan Aykroyd or dan Aykroyd, dana carvey are playing people who are I mean, how old are they they're probably like 30 when this movie was filmed or so right around that time they're i don't to me they're playing like 18 or 19 year olds i know you know the but characters clearly themselves but clearly they're supposed to be older yeah but like you're That's saying a, like, i was actually the, just thinking about that the immaturity factor of them saying swing and all this kind of stuff where it's, to me it's almost like embarrassing to see them like doing like dick jokes and yeah, stuff. yeah i was just thinking about that while kind the of mentality while, while you were talking because i was wondering if you were watching the skits, clearly, yeah. I don't, to my recollection, and I don't remember the you know, the specifics of, of the skits, uh, but to my recollection, like, they never talk about how old they are. So no. I think I think as a viewer of Saturday Night Live, you're supposed to maybe assume that they're supposed to be teenagers. Oh, right around that. Like, because that's what they, I guess, a teenager, 19, 20-year-old would do is they would go and they but would. But then in the movie, clearly... They're supposed to. I think they're supposed to be in their twenties. Yeah, they're supposed know. to be a because the idea that he lives with his parents. Yeah, and he says that. I, I know it still sucks. I still live with my parents, and you know what are they doing with their lives? You know what? The, yeah. what, what are they? I, I mean, does do we even establish if they have any jobs? I don't think we like. What are they? What does Wayne or Garth do for a living? Actually, <laughs> think about it. You know, I don't think maybe it's alluded to in the second one, or maybe it's alluded to in the lore of the skits. But yes, yeah, well, from well out Wayne says shop, he's had. 
Yeah, he's he has a, a he has a collection of name tags and hair nets. Yeah, so that means so he's, he's in the fast food industry. Of yeah, some he, sort he's of the, worked many jobs in, in the those uh, kinds of things. the retail industry. And uh, yeah, and then you know who knows what the hell Garth's doing. But um, they say uh, Dana Ac- Dana Carvey said I keep saying Dan- Dana Aykroyd. Dana Carvey says he based Garth on his brother. Yeah, and then didn't we just bring up a couple weeks ago the video toaster? Video toaster. Yeah, it was a beautiful machine. <laughs> And we're, even though we're not talking about Wayne's World 2, he pays homage to that in Wayne's World 2. Cause By brother, wearing a T-shirt that says Video Toaster. His older brother, Brad, was a uh, like a, some kind of electronic engineer or something. And apparently it was one of the co-creators of this thing called the Video Toaster. Yeah. Now, I'm sure there has to be other uh, geeks out there that are around our age that, in, that remember the Video Toaster. Who used to work in their AV department at high school. <laughs> Which the Video Toaster, back in our day... Before Avid's and Final Cut Pros and Premieres, you, you would edit video or your laptop now. tape to tape. Yeah, with uh, ba- with basically glorified v- VCRs. I mean, they weren't VCRs, but they you put in a tape and you had a control deck and you would basically go from one video tape to the next. Yeah, thing. the only good thing about it was that I think that they were like say four. Uh, what do you call those things? Oh shit! Remember, like the the uh, it was two two or four the VCRs had heads. Yeah. So yeah. this ours were like four. These were four heads, and they had like a toggle button. Yeah. So you can get like the precise frameage. Yeah, and you could do like fade outs and. Uh, well, I mean the VCRs themselves. Yeah. But this machine, the toaster, was this thing that you could. It would yeah. give you these plethora you would, of very so basic you would, 80s effects. Uh, you would take. There would be a computer. Yeah. Connected to these things, these decks. And you could do transitions where you could dissolve or do fade outs or you, they would have these uh, transition things that you go from shot to shot that were like built into the into the programming. Yeah. And when we got to college, there was still one or two of these things still around. Uh, we edited mostly on flatbed with film because we were shooting film. But because I had a video pro uh, course when I was in high school, I knew how to use this, this machinery. And so nobody else the knew toaster, how to, yeah. yeah, nobody else knew how to use it. So <laughs> the, the room was always empty. That edit room was always empty. So I would, I would do stuff in there and the, like would take girls in there, all kinds of stuff. But the video toaster, like the default video toaster transitions and the ones that we had in college were all these like sexy transitions, which was always very funny. <laughs> yeah, like a woman with legs. It would be like line. women's legs going across the screen, and as they went across the screen, like the next shot would be behind them. Yeah. So that's what would carry you to the next or shot. Be, like stars or like beach, maybe like shells or like, yeah, oh, like, yeah. And there would be one where a silhouette of a of a like naked woman would walk out, like she was walking in front of her window, and she would look. The silhouette would like look at you. And then, like, notice that you're watching, and then pull down the next shot as if it was the blinds to to, to the, her windows. Yeah, very funny, bizarre things that. Uh, and you wonder if that was some, when you were ordering the video toaster, if it, you you had a preference, <laughs> if those were the stock. You like SUNY purchase was like, and give us the give us the sexy, sexy. give us the sexy one, give us the sexy uh, transition. So this know? video toaster thing was uh, was a big part of my yeah my uh, teen years and getting into college. So uh, finding out that Dana Carvey's brother was one of the creators of the video toaster was a very funny kind yeah. of thing for me. And he homages it in Wayne's World 2. He wears a shirt for it. But he bases his, Dana Carvey bases Garth on his brother. 
and um, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other regular people in the the movie that show up in the, <coughs> the sketch per se. And then they flesh out his friends. They got about four or five friends who are yeah. friends and tech guys. And then you know, they, what do they do? They just go hang out at the donut shop. Donut shop ran by ran, run by Ed O'Neill, who's absolutely hilarious in this movie. I think steals the show. The funniest thing about watching this movie now is seeing how young everybody is. Yeah, you know, to see Ed O'Neill now. That you watch like him on Modern Family to see like you're like, man, he was actually like a good looking guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> back then. Yeah, to think of uh, him like this is know, Ed O'Neill's second appearance on. Uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers because we covered Dutch a couple of years ago. No, it's his third because he's in Cruising. As oh, well. and he's also in Cruising. Yeah, You're yeah. right. So so it's a very third. young, almost <laughs> unrecognizable at O'Neill. You're right. So this is his third appearance on the show. Yeah, because we did a little sleepover movie that wasn't at all a sleepover movie called Cruising, which is uh, one of the oddest sleepovers we've ever had if you haven't gone and listened to that podcast. <laughs> and uh, we, we tried to um, role play. Not role play. <laughs> Not role play. What do you call that when you go? Cosplay. Cl- cosplay. <laughs> we role play. The cosplayed cruising. Yeah. Lips or hips. <laughs> <Dun-dun>, dun-dun. <laughs> uh, one of his friend, one of their friends, the one of the guys that work on the show, is played by Michael DeLuise, I yeah. believe, who's the son of Dom DeLuise and the little brother to Peter DeLuise. Also used to show up on Head of the Class. He might have. He was in. He was in a lot of stuff because he he was in the or was he in again Twenty One Jump Street again. Uh, Contractually obligated, I have to mention 21 Jump Street in every yeah. cast. Peter DeLuise was one of the big stars of 21 Jump then Street. That's not, no, but then season all. five. Head of the class. In season five, Mike DeLuise, Michael DeLuise also becomes a cast member in the, la- in the final season of 21 Jump that's Street. That's like me. I'm, I'm rewatching Kojak I've been for the past couple of years. You know, I mean, I've been saying that for years, but it's like you only watch an episode a week. You know, there's yeah. five seasons. But, you know, his brother's in it. <laughs> and so it's like it's funny when you start seeing, like, the people, the relatives. Is that someone's brother? And Dom DeLuise po- popped up once or twice. Has he? I was like, hey. Well, he plays his dad. On the show? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Oh, that's really And cool. Michael DeLuise plays his little brother. Oh, that. Oh, so they they all play relatives on the yeah. show. He's not just showing up as, like, the, the person in trouble. Well, <laughs> Dom DeLuise might play, like, his uncle. You know, Uncle, yeah, he Uncle plays Don. a relative. Yeah, 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 of Peter DeLuise. Yeah, oh, that's great. And Don even DeLuise. the there's an, one of the other guys is rec- is in a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, that you know the, a lot of the people in here even of you know well, the guy who keeps saying I love you, man. That's, yeah, yeah, uh, he's he's shown up in a whole bunch of '90s and 2000s stuff. You know, growing up, I almost thought it was even what's today. His face? He's a, he actually stars in a spoof parody of Taken, which is called like Tooken or something really? like that. I didn't know they even spoofed that. Uh, which, I, you know, I, I've never seen it, but I know that he's... I've seen, like, commercials or previews for it. It's a movie or a series? I think it's a movie. Oh, okay. You know, like one of those scary movie... Oh, I get you. ...type parody yeah. movies. Token. Yeah, something like that. I have to look that up. Um, yeah, so you have him. You have that that cast. You have... Um, Larflin Boyle's in it. Lorf, I completely forgot that was her, because, you know, I only remember her from being, like romantically involved with Jack Nicholson for a time. <laughs> they had like maybe a kid or maybe they didn't. I don't know. And uh, the, the hot girl is um, that Garth's running after is Dan, Dan. This time I'm right. Dan Aykroyd's wife in real yes, life. Who was one of the stars of Bosom Buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's and then uh, you have then they have a lot of cameos like like you know like we said what's his Bill, Bill Murray's brothers in it. I noticed uh, for all those fans out there uh, Bill Murray's brother. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray, his wife in this is Colin Camp, 
Colleen, Colleen Camp, mm-hmm. who I absolutely love from, uh, you know, she's in Clue and she's in Smoking the Bandit 3 and she's in, uh, she's one of the girls in Apocalypse Now. She has a very interesting career. Um, she shows up in this. I never realized it was her. We have, we said Rob Lowe already. And this was like Rob Lowe's kind of comeback movie. Yeah. From the Brat Pack years. You know, I was thinking about Rob Lowe actually not too long ago and I was like. Hey, As you do. Yeah. I was, maybe I saw him in something. I really liked the show that he did. I think I must be canceled now, but him and Fred Savage had a show. Oh, that, is that gone? Okay. I know that came. I didn't know that if that went. I think it went because he's on another show now. So I assume. That's weird. That, that I just saw, that. like, uh, on the public access here at NYC TV, they were doing an interview with a guy about that show. <laughs> so maybe it's a couple years old, you know, and it's like, oh, or maybe it's coming back and Rob Lowe's just going to be on two shows. But uh, I was kind of like Rob Lowe, and I think I liked it because after this, he kind of discovered that he had comic chops. Well, like, he, that's he had what good, he said. He, he had good comic timing. Yeah, he didn't. He was really nervous about doing this movie because he didn't think he had any kind of comic chops. You know, Rob Lowe was. And now he's kind of, I think. He kind of lays at least one. One, it's like Ed O'Neill now. Well, Ed O'Neill's always been like that, I guess. Yeah. Since not since uh, prior to Married with Children, but it's like he's kind of lay lands and comedic. I only see. I mean, Rob Lowe did a really good. He did that uh, portrayal of John F. Kennedy in the Killing Kennedy, which was actually really good. That um, the what's his name who did uh, Alien? Uh, uh, Ridley Scott really? produced yeah. with Bill O'Reilly. He did a great job as uh, Kennedy in that movie. It's hard to be somebody iconic, you know, like Bill Campbell did killing Lincoln. He played Lincoln and he was great as Lincoln, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Tim Matheson just did uh, Ronald Reagan in that series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was phenomenal. I mean, who, who the hell's going to play Ronald Reagan? He did a great <laughs> job. And I got him, he came on and I got him to sign my John Johnny Quest nice. uh, thing. But he played, Rob Lowe played that. But yeah. aside from that, I don't, all I see Rob Lowe doing nowadays is comedy. Yeah, that's true. You know? Although I think the thing he might be on now is one of those, I want to say it's one of those like hospital dramas. Oh, like a Scrubs or something? No, like a... I mean, like, I mean, like a... Like a, a St. Like Elsewhere. <laughs> oh, like a... a oh, not a comedy, I, like you a know, drama. Yeah, like a... Like, I see. Like, I think it's a hospital drama. But yeah, I mean, because, of course, Rob Lowe was, became a bit of a star in the mid to... In the early to mid-80s. He was in... Uh, a bunch of Brat Pack stuff, right? Yeah, he was in uh, Cinema's Fire and... Uh, What's the one that Coppola did based on the books? Uh, 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 the Outsiders? The Outsiders, and they did Young Bloods with Patrick Swayze. And then, because uh, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, remember when Rob Lowe had a sex tape scandal? Cause I, don't sec- re- I don't remember that. Because now sex tape stuff is, you know, that, that makes people's careers. So he's kind of pioneering in that respect, because I haven't, I had no memory of Rob, maybe... At the time, I wasn't following Rob Lowe's you career in the late 80s. You were watching 2020 in 1988. <laughs> I was, but, they were, but you see what happened was they were profiling like Jeeps and CJs and the Wrangler issues and all that. So it's like maybe, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't remember. I wasn't watching 60 Minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, you know. So in, in the late 80s. The f- and this was, I guess, pretty big, right? Because it, it was a big deal. It kind of ruined his career for four years. Well, enlighten us for all those people like me who did not know. I mean, maybe the Rob Lowe's right now, like, listen to this. Like, oh, God. Uh you know, nowadays we know he's a listener. <laughs> nowadays, people like Kim Kardashian and Paris Hilton get careers from having sex tapes. But back yes. then, this could ruin your career. So uh, he was in Georgia, Rob the Lowe, state, not the, the country. State. Okay. Uh, I was about to say, what's he I doing believe over he was campaigning <laughs> for whoever was like running for president at the time. Not I forget who the candidate was, and it was the night before Dukakis, maybe Dukakis. And, and if it was eighties, it's yeah, it's Dukakis and and it Bush was Senior. and it was like the night before 
the, the convention, like the Democratic convention or something. Okay. And he slept in a hotel room. He met he met a 16-year-old girl in a club, took her back to his hotel room, and had sex with her and videotaped it. As you do back in the late 80s. Now, before everybody gets all up in arms, 16-year-old, at the time in Georgia, the legal age of consent for sex was 14. Oh, yes. So they were both consenting adults, or they both... In the, in yeah, but what age is he? You th- no, not to say he's wrong, but can you imagine whatever age he is consenting with a 14-year-old? It's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was 16, not 14. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yes, No wonder why Dukakis lost the election. <laughs> it's still kind of creepy. Aside that helmet. Uh, and I think where the problems came in was that even though she was old enough to consent to the sex, you had to be 18 to consent to the videotaping. Oh. But also, you know, you and I have off tape have talked about, you think of all the controversies with, like in the 50s and 40s, the musicians who would get in trouble, like with the Man Act crossing state lines. Oh, yeah. Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry got, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's like, you know, not, not defending any of it, but a lot of times you couldn't tell the girl would look like 18 or 19. Then yeah. you find out on her license she's 15 or 14. You're like, holy, you didn't even have ID back then. And I still you know? remember. because well, I wonder would, if he even knew. Maybe he thought she was 18. And I still remember like playing the, like, the news and things like 2020 and whatnot, playing sections of the tape where you obviously didn't see anything because it was the news but like, well, still, so like, how did the tape that's nothing how did the tape get leaked that i don't know because you know, if rob lowe made it for himself that's rob lowe giving it to someone unless the girl's like can i have a copy too and he goes let me get my video toaster out and, <laughs> and then there was <laughs> it just has to uh you know and my recollection of dupe. the tape is like obviously crappy vhs and i just remember him like walking from i guess behind the camera to the bed and that's like the image i remember of it and then apparently there was another section of the tape that was him and another guy having sex with this girl who was maybe like a beauty pageant model or something to that effect. And then that section of the tape became one of the first like marketed, sold sex tapes. Yeah. Prior like, to like Pamela Anderson and yeah. Uh, so Tommy, he Tommy was a pioneer Lee. in that. So I don't think he, <laughs> clearly he didn't release it or want it. But the, that tape actually got sold as being uh, the sex tape with Rob Lowe. Well, you think about, not, not to get off topic completely, but you think about in the 80s, porn, I mean, 70s had its heyday of porn celebrities, but in the 80s, you really didn't have anybody big. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until the 90s. Yeah, the, the resurgence. But, like, yeah. you know, Ron Jeremy was certainly still in the industry as well as, like, some other people, like Vanessa Del Rio from the 70s. But you didn't have, like, I mean, well, you had What's-Her-Face, the 15-year-old. Oh, uh, Tracy Lords. Yeah, Tracy Lords. That was huge, her doing her thing. And then the... The other girl too, who's the Marilyn Chambers, or you know, doing like the soft core, yeah, or yeah. the girl who ended up marrying um, Gene Simmons. That oh, was very soft. Shannon Tweed. That was soft. Yeah, but that was. You didn't like, have any hardcore. Those were like actual movies. Yeah, you didn't have any hardcore aside from Tracy Lords. You didn't have any hardcore people coming. I mean, saying rising up, becoming yeah, yeah. stars in that era. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that would. Hey, that's that's a good rejuvenation. So all this stuff kind of tainted Rob Lowe's career. And he had a bit of a he had, he had a dry spell of not being able to get work. So Waynesboro comes around, and apparently, Lauren Michaels says to the director, uh, Penelope Sphere, what's her last name? Spheris. Spheris. Says to her, "You should. Penelope we Spheris. should get Rob Lowe because we can get him cheap." Yeah. 
and it was great. Yeah, great casting. It was great you know? casting. This was a bit of a resurgence for him. Of course, he was put in the awesome power movies as playing a young Robert <laughs> Wagner, which he's very funny and great yes, in yes. as that character. He's been in a lot of movies. I mean, I think he's a great actor, and I certainly knew him when, when the movie was so, – and I didn't know that he had a sex tape. So I'm like, hey, look, it's Rob Lowe, you know? Yeah. And uh, a great-looking guy, so it's really he, – he plays the part really well, and it's uh, – it's it's just he was really well cast in this and and kind of did set the pace for what his career was it had a bit of a resurgence for him but then like you said most of what he's been in since then have been kind of in these comedic parts and he almost does it too well like you you think like he's like this is a, he's a douchebag you know, <laughs> that, you know it's almost like you kind of worry i never met him when he came to yeah, yeah. To, to pump the, the kennedy movie i hear he's very nice uh but yeah it's 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 kind of interesting to think that uh you know but he does a phenomenal job in here. Other cameos, Meatloaf yeah, plays Meatloaf's a great. bouncer at the door. Uh, we have Chris Farley in his first film. That's appearance. interesting because uh, two weeks prior to this, I just celebrated the 25th anniversary of Ernest Borgnine night this year. And uh, every year at Ernest Borgnine at Tortilla Flats, they do the Borgnine look-like contest. And we talk about this in the black hole when we talk about Ernest Borgnine. But... Uh, the look-like contest is they play a clip from a Borgnine movie, and then you have to just you know do the clip as best you can, either funny or serious, and the crowd votes whoever wins. And then you win that year. I won in 2014. But Chris Farley was the first ever person to win the Borgnine look-like contest 25 years ago, so that would have been this year. So uh-huh. the year he did Wayne's World was the first year they did Borgnine night. So we're breaking a little news here <laughs> that we're making the correlation that in Feb- the third, it's always the third Wednesday in February, he must have went... So this that movie was so he might have been getting hammered because Wayne's World's out. Wayne's World comes out February fourteenth. He goes who knows what the third Wednesday was in February that year. Goes to Tortilla Flats first annual board <laughs> night going on. And Andy, the owner who I'm good friends with, says that he was so bad they had to give it to him. They did a scene for Marty. Yeah. And he was so drunk, so bad that he's like, we well, okay, we'll have to give it to him. They gave it to Chris Farley that year, you know? So it's like, so look at the core, the correlation here. And I think he plays a hilarious part in this movie where it's just, you yeah, know, yeah. that's funny afterwards, like well, all this extraneous information, you know, by <laughs> such a, you know it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. And you of know. course we have Alice Cooper, which this is around a time Alice Cooper was coming out of a lull. Yeah, the 80s, he wasn't really doing. He was kind of having a comeback because he had a lot of issues in the 70s and then into the 80s with, with alcohol. And so as well as controversy. You remember, like, the thing with him, like, at the show where he bites the dog, you know, like, he... he well, that was, like, 1971. 60, I thought it was, like, 68. That so might have been New Right, No Right. That's 69, because that was the Toronto... The Toronto Rock, Rock and, and Love. Thing yeah. With which, John Lennon's there, The Doors, and all that. Yeah, which you yeah. have a... Com- you've compiled a complete... <laughs> I've compiled the many... You have bootlegs of every person who performed at that. I'm getting there. Still working on it. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. But I remember him being kind of controversial, and it's, you know, into the 70s and being huge with all his 70s stuff but him again it's kind of funny to me to think people like looking at that as being dark and satan worshiping you know what i mean (laughs) or even like ozzy yeah well you know know, 80s we talked about that two a couple weeks ago the 80s with ozzy and all that suicidal solution well they talk about uh mike myers wanted to really use like i'm 18 and school's out for the movie which were 70s hits we have to say we have a big uh Alice Cooper uh, aficionado on the show because you're a big Alice Cooper. I don't know fan. if I'd say I'm aficionado, but I'm a big Alice Cooper fan. You've seen him and where a number that, of times. I've seen him live. One of the best show concerts you'll ever go to. And you, you saw him on New Year's as well, right? I think you've seen him one year on New Year's. I know more about your business than I, you do. I don't think I ever saw him on New Year's. Oh, I thought you but saw I have seen him show. like five times. Yeah. 
Because um, I was commenting to my wife in doing this. I was like, you know, I'd like to see Alice Cooper. It's you a, should. It is so much fun. How is he nowadays? Because it's the reason I as, asked that is he's so good in this movie, but I think this is 25 years ago. He's as good... As a guy. As, as ever. Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, because... Uh, the thing is, he doesn't really sing anymore. He just kind of yells into the microphone. <laughs> well, you gave me that great bootleg of him at the um, Whiskey A Go-Go for, for the, his anniversary show, and then... then he, uh, they did a couple door songs, and, it, and that's that yeah, was yeah. from like. like but if you listen to, nine, it was great. But if you listen to the albums in the seventies, yeah. I mean, he's when he sings, he almost sings with like a Morrison. Yeah, he's very welcome Morrison. to. Yeah, my, yeah, yeah. But now it's like welcome to my. You know, he's more like he kind of growls into the yeah. microphone. But the show itself, he's still fabulous. And the, the, the song they end up using on here, which was then uh, hence on the soundtrack of Wayne's World, "Feed My Frankenstein," yeah. is fucking amazing, and I didn't realize. Uh, well, that's know, where I was going. He, yeah. Mike Myers wanted to use School's Outer. If you don't shut the fuck up, I'll tell you what you're going to Or I'm 18. But uh, Chef Gordon, who's uh, you know a very infamous uh, manager, was Alice Cooper's manager. And, and there's a whole documentary about Chef Gordon, which Mike Myers ended up directing. Yeah. And there's another documentary, somewhat recent, about Alice Cooper, where is a very very funny story about how Alice and Chip Gordon ended up working together. Uh, he convinced them to use Feed My Frankenstein. Yeah. Because it was his song at the time, like a good manager. And it's, he's, he's like, yeah, we could, you could use an older song, but he really wanted the new song to be put on the, you know, to become a hit. And it's, it's, it's a song he never did live. I mean, I think it's so good. Well, he does it live now. He but, does, he'll, but I guess up until that time, he hadn't done it live. It was still a, f- a fairly re- recent song, but uh, may, yeah, maybe not. But uh, he'll do, he does it live a lot now, and there's a giant, amazing, used to be a big Frankenstein puppet, but now it's kind of this giant uh, Alice Cooper Frankenstein monster thing that is really awesome looking that comes out on stage when he does this song. And... Uh, Listening to it growing up, you know, I knew the thing back to forward. And, you know, you hear the girls in the song. And at the time, it's like, I, you know, I was a big uh, Motley Crue fan in the late 80s, you know. Uh, so, like, Dr. Feelgood, you know, that Girls, 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 Dr. Feelgoods were big albums for me. So, in Dr. Feelgood, there's a lot of, like, snippets of girls on the songs, you know. Yeah. So, to me, it was like one of those kind of songs where you have, like, a snippet of a girl. And you think now that, I guess, in the, in the, you have Nikki Six from Motley Crue on the song. Uh, Feed My Frankenstein. You also have um, Elvira, uh, Cassandra Peterson. And it, now when I hear it, that, that I just lear- learning doing this cast, that it was Elvira. It's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. It sounds exactly like Elvira. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted him. I guess there's anybody else. Uh, oh, Stephen, Steve Vai and um, another guitarist around there. And they all wanted to reprise the roles uh, for the movie. But I guess because it's like flight delays, they yeah. couldn't get there to, the, to, to film. So they, they were omitted from the actual film, but they were going to have them all on stage, which I thought would have been amazing. You know, yeah, have yeah. And then that whole backstage stuff with, with Alice Cooper is hilarious. I mean, even at the time, it landed for me at that age of, like, you know, the jokes of the irony of yeah. him actually being very well read and all, you know what I mean? Which yeah, is, yeah. Well, I mean, thing is, like, it doesn't even have to be Alice Cooper, just this idea of, like, this rock yeah, star. But it landed for me at that young age. It, yeah. it hit. I laughed at that. It didn't yeah, go yeah. over my head. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And then, of course, you know, the Milwaukee. You know, if anything's dated, it's like the like a joking on Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, yeah, which is, I guess, people will a lot of, see a lot of that which now. I, which, like, was hilarious to see again, because we grew up watching reruns of Laverne and Shirley yeah. and stuff. So they're like, oh, yeah, there was a, there was a Laverne and Shirley parody. Well, it's, it's funny to think that, like, Mike Myers didn't want 
he didn't think the Terminator 2 thing was going to be funny. Yeah. You know, and they insisted, and then it ended up being a smash. And of course, I remember seeing it in the theater and then seeing that. Uh, oh my God, it's Robert, you know, Robert Patrick yeah. Cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, you know, he they do that spoof to Laverne and Shirley, which is just as funny, but they're hitting that older audience, yeah, you know, yeah. like for, from, when they're, from when they're little. So it's, it, that, that hits too. And I find them, you know, those two a little dated now, you know what I mean? Yeah, those, yeah. those references, but it's, again, it's a product of its time. Yeah, yeah. You know? Very, the Laverne and Shirley thing is still hilarious. And, the Robert Patrick thing is another instance of like, wow, look how young Robert Patrick used to be. Yeah, he now like I watch him from on the like movie. Scorpion on CBS. Yeah, he's heavier. They all, they and all he's old. I mean, it's twenty five years ago. Yeah, yeah, he's you know, people in their fifties or sixties now, like like Ed O'Neill. I mean, like even a, Meatloaf. You're like, wow, look how it's like felt Meatloaf used. To yeah, be. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's almost uh, unrecognizable, and it's only what five years before he does Fight Club. You know, and that's a big role for Meatloaf for maybe six years. I forget if, if, if um, f- um, Thingamajiggy's 98 or 99 or 97, uh, Fight Club. But, uh, and then he does, you know, he does a couple other acting gigs there. But there's a lot of other, you know, there's all these little funny, uh, you know, even the director cameo. She's in the booth at one point, you know. And I think she does a good job helming this movie because um, she hadn't directed, I don't think, anything big before like feature filmy yeah she actually has a weird career she directed i don't know people i think people of our generation will remember them even if they haven't seen them but the, there was a big s- three documentaries the decline of western civilizations part one two and three and obviously they weren't they weren't made at the time there was the first one was made in the early late 70s early 80s it was about punk the rise of punk music in, in, in the la scene of punk music yeah. and then a couple years later um there was, you know, part two was about metal. It was about heavy metal music. And then part three, I think, came around. Uh, and that was more about uh, this thing of gutter punks. And it was like these punk kids that were homeless living in L.A. And so she had, I think that was probably her big claim to fame was doing these documentaries. But she had done a lot of stuff, but nothing hit like Wayne's World did. I think it was... And then after Wayne's World, there's a bunch of titles that when you see, like, the movies she did right after Wayne's World was, like, Beverly Hills... Beverly Hillbillies, the movie. Yeah. uh, 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 Little Rascals. Then Little Rascals, and then Black Sheep, I think she did. Yeah. uh, With, you know, the the Chris Farley movie. And, but there was some, apparently there was some tension with her and Well, I think Lauren Michaels got her on. But maybe he was the connection. And then, so, you read a lot of stuff about this, and they say Mike Myers was a little difficult to work with during this time making this movie. And I wonder, it's Mike Myers' feature debut, uh, film film feature. Yeah. And at the time, he says, th- this movie was only shot in 34 days. And you think of it, they shot it like in August to September 91, I guess, if this is 92. Yeah. And they had to get back by the end of September to get, Silent Live was premiering that year. So they had this clock. They had to be finished filming by this date because they had to go back to New York to, f- to start Silent Live. And as well... Mike Myers' father died soon afterward, and he was yeah. ill during this point. So I wonder if that was weighing, you know, it's the stress of, you know, you're young, you're, you're, everything's riding on you as the lead character, you're out doing your first movie, as well as, uh, and I'm not in any way making excuses for this, because I'm the kind of person who I don't agree with people lashing out at other people when they're having issues. So uh, I wonder if this tension, because, you know, you hear stories where she said to the director uh, that she, like, gave her daughter as his assistant on set and, the, and he was making all these demands to the daughter like I want this or I want that or one day at the craft services there wasn't the right thing there for his bagel and he threw the table up and who knows if that's conjecture yeah, you yeah. know but he was but I a lot of the stuff you hear is that they, that 
uh, he had issues with, say, uh, cuts of scenes or takes they used. And even Dana Carvey says this because Dana Carvey, there's certain scenes, like, say, for Bohemian Rhapsody, he didn't get to learn the, the lyrics as much as he wanted to. So you kind of see he's mumbling. But at the same moment, I think that works perfectly. Yeah, Because I think funny. it's funny. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because it just looks like Garth. That's how Garth would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but I guess there was enough stuff going on where, um, you know, there's final cut issues or whatever that Mike Myers had such an issue with her that he stopped talking to her and he actually barred her from doing the sequel movie, yeah. you know, coming out. And then they didn't talk for years and then they kind of reconciled a couple years ago and they did like a round table. Well, I've heard that he can be difficult, uh, you know, with the Austin Powers movies. I think he's just a bit of a control freak. And, and being his first movie, I can see him being uh, worried. Of course. Of course, yeah. and having personal th- issues going on at the time. But then having, it's a character he created. Yeah pre-Saturday Night Live. So he's going to be the one who best knows it. Yeah, and then to have that character being put in somebody else's hands. Basically the plot of the movie we're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) He's he's actually in real life fighting, you know, it's like a movie within a movie. Yeah. Fighting, you know. And then also we we bring in this maybe unsaid tension between him and Dana Carvey. Yeah. Dana Carvey being the bigger star at the time, he doesn't want to be upstaged, and then, you know, him kind of, you know, being the boss on the picture, Mike Myers, of what he wants to do. I mean, at the time, also... You know, like I was saying, I loved Aerosmith at the time. GNR was huge, and GNR had just come out with the Use Your Illusion albums, and they were the biggest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. And they only did like one more song. They did the cover of Sympathy for the Devil for the Interview with the Vampire movie, and then in that recording session, they broke up because Axel was such a douche. But yeah. they wanted to use Guns N' Roses in this song, in this movie. Yeah, because like they were the popular. studio, Paramount wanted to use, or whoever the studio was. It, it's Paramount, but it's wondering, I wonder, because you, th- I wonder, because. Th- Terminator 2 had used Guns N' Roses and Robert Patrick, but I guess there's no connection there yeah, with yeah. the studio because I think that's, I forget what studio that is who put out Terminator. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Guns N' Roses was used effectively in uh, Terminator 2 and they wanted to use them here in the Bohemian Rhapsody song section. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted to have them singing something. a Guns N' Roses song. Yeah. And Which Mike, I guess could have been funny, like if they did Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah, yeah. But but apparently Mike Myers put his foot down. He and really he, fought for it. He's going to leave the movie. He's like he was like, if we don't use, if we don't do Bohemian Rhapsody in the scene, then I'm not doing this movie. And at the time, we're talking about people having lulls in the career. Queen had had a lull after like Live Aid. Yeah, you know. Well, in the they late did. 80s, they did Live Aid, and then there was this. Well, Freddie Mercury was dying. I mean, he well, they was did two other literally on his deathbed de- when they shot this movie. Well, they they, they he were was two dead before. Before this movie came out, they did two albums after that, and they were kind of a departure from their style. Yeah, you know, and they weren't, and they didn't even have tours in the states. Yeah, to, to promote those two things, and then, like you're saying, he died of I think AIDS in 1991. But it, he died of bronchitis, pneumonia, like bronchitis, yeah, pneumonia, because of the yeah. AIDS. And like you said, he was literally on his deathbed at this point. But the stories are that. Mike Myers got a tape to him. I mean, you always hear this, so let's hope this is all true yeah. with any person who's before their death. But, you know, that he got to see the footage and he really liked it. And it ended up being such a revival where after this movie comes out, Bohemian Rhapsody goes up to number two again on the charts. And they have this huge revival into the yeah. to 90s with best of albums and all this. You know, and then uh, I'm certainly, you know, freaking... Uh, you got blood on your face. We will rock you. That was, you know, that all, all those oh, yeah. staples it was came back. Queen became huge after this. And it's like when the Doors had their resurgence from the Oliver Stone movie. It's yeah. like no one had thought about the Doors through the 80s after the American Prayer album in 79. You know, they did Bohemians. There was a music video 
for the, I, that they shot with which Wheel was a guys. combination of like the original kind of music video film that they made in the 70s for it intercut with the the Wayne's World stuff brilliant marketing and uh I remember being a big deal I remember Brian May saying that uh Freddie would have loved the movie you know Freddie had a really Great sense of humor by like everybody's account. Brian May, the guitarist. For yeah, Queen, Brian yeah. May, the lead guitar player for Queen, and he's the one who says that Mike Myers got the copy, maybe through Brian May to to Mercury yeah. the Sea before he died. At least the, the of clip. the scene, yeah, yeah. And so they did. I remember I got way into it. I mean, I, I was a little bit into Queen before that. My brother had a greatest hits album, uh, but then once that hit, they you're right. They released two more like greatest hits and yeah. best of collections. Then they released the live at Wembley Stadium album came out after that and yeah it was just not an over here to play. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it was a big it was the queen became really big after this and you think of to me it's like i remember from the previews yes that was like one of the scenes they sold you know so you can't wait to see that scene so when you're in the movies watching the movie and seeing that scene you're like all into it it's amazing yeah. and you it's know? so early in the movie yeah and then now it's like i watch and like oh that's all you know like yeah, the yeah. joke with the guy gonna throw up in the middle you know yeah, which yeah. actually be, i never noticed but it becomes a really funny reoccurring gag where like the next time they see him at, at the um at the them getting the emissions for the uh amc pacer he's like do you remember and they're like we were with you the other night. yeah he's like oh uh, did you go to that <laughs> yeah, he's like no, we were there and then later on again he's he's he, it's like you know he's the guy with the drinking problem. Like you know he's with them a night off, and he looks like he's gonna throw. Every time you see him yeah, at night, yeah. he's hammering. He's about to throw up. You know, it's I love that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, watching it this time, I'm, it was I was shocked at how early it was in the movie, how short it was overall, and how many times they interrupt it. Oh, for for interludes, like yeah, pick yeah. The guy up like or they, they pick the guy up, and then they go to the guitar store so he can look at the guitar I'm the shocked that they the, the, I guess it, you know what it breaks it up which and is how fun. little of the song is actually used well and, and I'm surprised that they let it play out to the actual like gong at the end because he yeah. stops and it's almost like you could have cut it when they got to the donut shop but they let it play out like the it's like the the um the presence or the grandeur of the song. Yeah, you let yeah. it, it's like the end of, it's like the doors is the end. You let it play to the end. And then it's like, it's like, you know, it almost solidifies the, 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 the concreteness of the scene as well, which is good. Yeah. Um, they said filming that, that they, they all got terrible neck aches from the head banging. Um, uh, we said that Garth didn't know his lines very well. And, and he had other issues because he had to do the overbite so much. Yeah. He was fucking his, uh, his chin up. So he was icing his chin every night. Yeah. Because yeah. Of the overbite. He said, uh, Dana Carvey. You know, Dana Carvey had to, if you look at him, he does this weird, like, overbite thing, and his jaw is kind of, like, off to one side. So to be uh, Garth. The entire time. You know, to be to do that day after day for th- 34 days, he was suffering some from some really bad jaw pain and have to ice his jaw. I think he was recently on the Howard Stern show, uh, you know, within the last couple of months where he talked about how he had to, he went to a doctor. The doctor's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you even doing? <laughs> He's like, well, I have to, I've had my jaw in this position every day. And the doctor's like, why? <laughs> like, stop doing that. Uh, yeah. And so there's little things that you don't realize. All these little bits that like, you just... know, with even, you know, you know, with your own body, you know, if you just... You don't think about, you know, just having, putting your, you know, even if you were just carrying something all day. Yeah, it hurts. And by your... the next day, you're like, oh my, why does my arm hurt yeah. so bad? And you, you see that a lot with um, with actors. We've talked about it going back. Boris Karloff had such severe back pain because of the Frankenstein outfit for the rest of his life. And then you go back to Lon Chaney 
and Lon Chaney having such terrible senior, the silent yeah. actor from all the stuff he constrained himself into, the piano wire to make him face look like the Phantom of the Opera or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's always these these things these people do to these characters. I was actually you know? just, you know, not that I'm comparing Brendan Ralph to, you know, Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney or even Dana Carvey, but I was just listening to him being interviewed on something. Um, I think maybe one of the Kevin Smith podcasts. Yeah. And he was talking about when he did Superman, when he played Superman in Superman Returns, he injured his shoulder from having, doing all the wild, wire work, but having to hold his arms up. Yeah, like he's flying. Flying all the time. <laughs> that, like, to this day, his shoulder's all messed up. I've had an issue where I've, I, I walk to work every day, and for the past 10 years, I've used a mail, a mail bag, like, so it's on one side, yeah, and then... Yeah. Um, two years ago, well, I started using. I went back to like the old book bag from school, and now my back's all messed up. And I, I mean, I yeah. did something to it, but I'm sure that me carrying all this weight every day ain't helping. But yeah, yeah. so yeah, you're right. Everything you do every day ends up being like a, an issue. Um, and they said the head banging thing that really messed their necks up. So like for the shoot, they had to watch what they were doing and all. You know, it's all <laughs> this. You know, uh, this this kind of thing. Um, Mike Myers's girlfriend Robin uh, Rusin, she plays the waitress in the movie at the donut shop, and they were married from '93 to 2006. So he, maybe he met her around this year. This movie came out. Um, the donut shop stu- donut sh- donut shop stuff is hilarious. Yeah. The guy who plays the cop in it. Uh, you know, he, I've seen him and he's in a bunch of like 80s. He's in a couple of Steven Seagal movies. And, yeah. you know, he's a, I think he plays a great part in the movie. The other guy who's the who gets laid off the head of the, the pink slip from the local uh, cable show network. He's hilarious in it. Ed O'Neill, again, I think he steals the show in his clips. You know, yeah, and, and O'Neill's the, really funny. In this. You know, I mean, and I also like, too, that there are <laughs> that there are people. You know, in the you know, the you know the, you have the irony that the people don't realize they're in a movie, but then people like Dana Carvey, you know, always gets our attention and talks to the camera. But I like when they first walk in, uh, Ed O'Neill grabs the camera, yeah, starts yeah. saying stuff, and they're like, "Hey, and you can't do this, man! You can't talk to the camera." And then I think Ed O'Neill's like, "We'll talk later or something." And from I don't remember, but I say that he reprises his role in the second one, so I'd love to see what, what he ends up doing those scenes in, in Wayne's World too. Um, and then uh, I mean, it's it's just it's it's just mind-boggling to me like just the, the 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 how much of an impact this had in our culture at the time when you had like the shring the uh you know yeah not like um, you yeah. know monkeys will fly you have all these verbiage that end up coming out they made a video game they had apparently a, the that's what she said apparently that, is you know i mean you think of this, how many you know was attributed to this uh it's just uh, it, it's so weird just to think of the culture impact this movie had and then how quick it went you know, yeah. and it seems like in the in the '90s, Saturday Night Live had a couple of those iconic characters, and maybe because of this movie, where you had like the copy guy, everyone would say like the dudes, they're the dirt yeah, in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? You had that. Well, that's the other thing. I I wonder how much of those things, um, at least in America, stemmed from the movie versus the clips, because clearly, like you said, Saturday Night Live itself you know, has had that kind of cultural impact where things like, like the copy guy stuff. Yeah. So I wonder if things like Schwing and whatnot kind of started becoming things because of the skits. And then, and then the movie, the, and then the movie just kind of like put the exclamation point well, on it. I alluded to before, like in the United Kingdom, they never aired Saturday Night Live. So when this movie came out, they had cut out the, the, the skits and they put, aired them in like a special to, to, to coincide with the movie coming out, the, the skits. But, people over there and throughout the world started to recognize all this stuff 
and to the point where they having the issue of translating the slang into various languages, so the French and Germans or whatever, yeah. you know, the language barrier of trying to translate it into something comparable and getting the same joke, you know. And, uh, yeah. I mean, some of it's still used today. I mean, it's one of the freaking... Uh, what is it? The 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 2010 like uh, WikiLeaks thing. People were saying like not in like you know the WikiLeaks things you know. So yeah, it's like yeah. you still get some of it, but some of it's so dated. Like you know, Sphincter says what <laughs> you know what I mean, or yeah, a, a monkeys yeah. will fly out of my butt. You know, like you. Which said, apparently so there's some childish. country you know there was countries where that was translated to just be like when Judgment Day comes <laughs> instead <laughs> of when yeah monkeys will fly out of my butt. Um, so it's just you know, in the in the movie goes and it's just you know. Uh, on and on and I don't know I mean like what else can we say about I'm trying to think of apparently the Dana Carvey line of when he talks about when they're sitting on the car and oh, he's like do you ever think of, about uh, yes, you know when Bugs Bunny ever attracted to Bugs Bunny when he dressed up as a woman and it's funny watching it this time you can see it's a it's a real laugh yeah Mike I was, Myers' yeah, reaction like, uh, Mike, I was like wow that's I think Mike Myers really laughed this time and yeah. then it turns out that that was an ad lib that Dana Carvey said. He, there was like the last day of filming, yeah, and they needed to get. Some and they stuff. were just sitting there, and Dana Carvey asked the question, and his and <laughs> Mike Myers' reaction and his laugh is a genuine laugh to that to that ad lib. So I think that stuff's always kind of yeah funny when you see there's as good as an actor can be, a thing like a laugh is very hard. Now it's not that like it's not you can they can laugh and it can be believable, but when you see an actual laugh, you're like that's that that's yeah, how that's that funny. person actually laughs. Yeah, <laughs> you um, know, there's a very funny, and I think we might even mention it when we did Rocky uh, a year a little over a year ago. There's this very funny part where Rocky comes to the meat to the meat place, the packing meat packing places to do the boxing, and Paulie has called the TV reporter to come yeah and he gets there and rocky's like paulie why'd you do that and he's yelling at paulie and paulie's like what and paulie's kind of drunk and at the very end he says uh says to rocky something like you doing my sister and he could tell it just like totally keep takes stallone off guard and stallone starts laughing and kind of pushes like oh paulie what am i gonna do with you kind of thing but it's like it's a very genuine laugh yeah a laugh like as well, as believable as an actor can make a laugh, when they actually laugh, you could say you usually are being like, "That's it." He's actually laughing. Yeah, I am. Um, the The first thought for me that comes into the front of mind is like, remember that Tucker and Dale versus Evil that scene where uh, you know the two of them are like trying to explain about like the wood chipper. Yeah, yeah. or he's like, "We got her locked up inside." And and uh, what's his face? Who's the ginger guy from oh, uh, Firefly? Tudor. Yeah, he's, he starts laughing. No, don't tell him that. <laughs> you know, like that seems like a genuine laugh. But other times they'll do like you know you think of like say Raging Bull and then. You know, you want a certain reaction. So, so Scorsese whispers to Pesci to tell him, say, did you fuck my mother instead of fuck my wife? So De Niro like, what? And then that's the take they use. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. when you get the actor caught off guard for a laugh or whatever, it works. And, you know, that's certainly a scene there where it's like they're, they're just sitting there. It's like, come up with lines. And I guess that was another thing in the movie where they were like, she, even though they did have their issues with her directing, or Mike Myers specifically, that they she did let them kind of, they they're only entry into this medium was the Saturday Night Live format of rehearsal and then having yeah. this kind of like a improvish kind of an atmosphere and they, they kind of let her, he, she kind of let them yeah. have that atmosphere on set you know to be able to do or let the camera go a little longer so you get like a 
a certain reaction or a t- you know or you know sure to that which is good watching it this time around for me one of the big things was one remembering how impactful Dana Carvey's lines were and how much of a big deal they were like how, remembering my friends and people at school well, doing them and two re, kind of realizing how great Dana Carvey is in this movie it's, it's weird to, like you said before that I haven't seen this movie in 20 years as well but then when you're watching it you remember a line before the line say Dana Carvey's gonna say like I like to play <laughs> or you know or like just all like thank you you know all those little yeah, yeah. and you know like oh and you remember how like I remember laughing out loud in the theater at that point when they all jump on the ground they pan over to Dana Carvey's like I, I just fell on my keys it's like <laughs> yeah. I laughed out loud because I fall who hasn't yeah, fallen yeah. on their keys you know back in the day you know, when people used to have keys for things you know and it's or like, like when Rob Lowe comes over to talk to him and he's got the helmet on and he's working on like the robot hand. oh yeah and the dummy and the supposedly Dana Carvey says in the, in the context of the movie, he's making a robot to kill Rob Lowe. Yeah, like, yeah. But just like remembering that scene and kind of how awkward it is, but yeah. like purposely, like awkward for comedic purposes. And then remember, like, oh, he's that, that's right, the hand's gonna come he's alive. Gonna and he's gonna the shit out of it. Yeah, and it's, it's weird. But just like Dana Carvey's, you're right. He's yeah, so good. It in was this movie. watching it this time and not having seen it forever. It was like, holy shit, Dana Carvey's so good in this. Yeah. I mean. Mike Myers is too, but Dana Carvey is just like that character is such a funny character. And then when he goes and he, the, the remembering the foxy lady kind yeah. of fantasy, oh, that, and yeah. how funny he is, and how like physically comedic well, talent see, he has. Going back to the beginning of this cast and me saying like me being such a Saturday Night Live fan of that time, the other thing was I was a huge Dana Carvey fan because Dana Carvey for me at that time, aside from maybe like a Phil Hartman, like Dana Carvey was the show for me back then. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, him doing George Bush Sr., him doing The Church Lady, him doing, you know, whatever, Ross Perot. Hans and Franz. Hans and Franz, you know, with Kevin Nealon. It's like, you know, he, to me, was like one of the spearheads of that show at the time. And then, you know, certainly he was kind of left in the dust with, like, Mike Myers. But, like, it is kind of like a a little, like, you get great examples in this movie of how good he was, you know, by him just stealing the show and all that that subtlety, which is amazing. You know, it's, like, really good. Um the the other music bits in this movie it's like uh, what is the name Gary Wright re-recorded Dream Reaver for the song Dream for, even know. that was like that came up oh with all the stars well, yeah but just like, like the, the minute when that that comes in it's like oh yeah like Dream Reavers like, like I said it was like my memory was recalling everything just one step ahead of when it, it was about to happen. and we talk about the, you know we've said soundtracks before in the past and there's certainly movies we'll get into where the soundtracks were huge parts of our lives and for that However many months I watched this movie, I had that cassette, bought it. You know, oh, I, yeah. I went and paid for that cassette. I didn't copy it. I remember for me, it was like I was a Clapton fan at that yeah. point. Clapton has a track on this that, to my recollection, might not be on any other Oh, really? Album. Um, so that was big for you to have that. Like That's like the Lethal Weapon 3 song that Clapton yeah, has. Yeah, I the, could be wrong, but I don't recall that me. song being on anything else. But yeah, you had the Bohemian Rhapsody. You had the Clapton song. You had the... Alice Cooper. They had Feed My Frankenstein. You even had Black Sabbath Dio. circa 1992. Dio was Dio replaced Ozzy uh, for eight, in 80 for uh, Heaven and Hell. In 1980. Yeah, and then they did uh, Mob Rules, and then there's a live album with Dio, and then Dio left. So this is like ten years later. Yeah, Dio joined back with Sabbath. Yeah, um, and that's the Terminator Two sequence, right? Because I say, isn't there in the yeah? Because the the, the, the the song joke. the song is called Time Machine. Yeah, and then on the cover of that album, that although I, album, although I don't think they. Did, 
Dehumanizer. Dehumanizer, yeah. yeah. That there is a, a a painted figure of a Terminator endoskeleton disguised as a Grim Reaper. Costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then they have that in the background while Robert One Patrick comes One of my favorite up. Sabbath songs of all time is on that album called I. Just the letter I. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, and I don't even know if they get to the hook of the song in the movie, which is the time machine part. I don't recall when we watched it the other day. I mean, when we watched it. Uh, Seems like days ago. <laughs> before this. But, uh, yeah, even... You know, I guess that was. I became a huge Black Sabbath fan after that yeah. with the Ozzy, and then I didn't get into the Dio years until within the last ten years. Yeah, because a couple of years ago. Um, so that's huge. I mean, so it was weird to like to now remember. Like, I guess that was my first real introduction to Black Sabbath was, and Dio. It was Time Machine, and yeah, on, on that out. I mean, and then her. Um, I was going to say Cassandra. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Tia Carrera, her covers on, were on that of Ballroom Blitz. Yeah, she's which got a great voice. Huge. Yeah, and it's really weird because you hear her talk, and she has a heavy accent in the movie. Like, why don't you yeah. go talk to her? You yeah. know. But then when you hear her sing, which I assume yeah. she's singing a track, I wonder but it's if her, he plays that up. You know, for the movie. You think? I don't know because I don't remember being that pronounced in. Um, True Lies, but that doesn't mean anything because you look at Peter Lorre, within like a year, he was able to get rid of his yeah, accent. Yeah, but so. she was in like General Hospital before yeah. this. I mean, she was but in she stuff. But she is accentless in those yeah, songs. Yeah. You know, and With I, a lot of that, I mean, that happens a lot. Yeah, A lot of, of those British guys were able to know, do it. But I mean, when some, you hear people to this day, a lot of people don't even realize that Mark Knopfler, when they hear Dire Straits, that Mark Knopfler is British. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, it's interesting to hear her you know, really, and she has a pronounced accent, but then she's able yeah, to yeah. just completely lose it for the song. Yeah. And it's good that they kept those songs and they put them on the album because, you know, I was listening to the Ballroom Blitz all the time. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. You know, and then the extended Wayne's World song, which is like uh, Mike Myers wrote with G.E. Smith, you know, that, who at the time, G.E. Smith was a huge staple as a Saturday Night Live band yeah. for years. Um, he was in also in the 80s. He was in Hall and Oates' band. Yeah, and he became the tour. Then he, he did a Buddy Guy album. They did He, he did a live, live album, album with Buddy Guy, which was Buddy Guy basically live with the Saturday Night Live band. Yeah. Called it, The Real Deal. Yes. They did at Legends. Great album. I was at the 2000... Buddy Guy's club in Chicago. Yeah, and, and in 2012, I was at the Republican National Convention in the arena, and I was there this past year at the, the RNC working... Uh, with cable news and GE Smith both times was the band there. Yeah. So while we're setting up for like a week and a half before GE Smith's there with his band, like tuning up and jamming. Yeah. So yeah. it's just fucking sweet. Like, you know, you're, <laughs> you're on your hands and knees putting like XLRs together and you're putting cameras now, together. GE Smith. You know, I mean, this is a, rocking for another it. discussion, but it's being Saturday night live, uh, topical topical. He was married to, uh, what's her face? The girl. Yeah. Well, um, this, she's the, the, um, Get this oh my gosh. The blonde girl. No. Uh, oh. The one from the original cast. Or was that a Pepetto? Whatever, whatever. Oh, the one that ended up dying with her name? Yeah, uh, yeah. What's her name uh, uh, when the, Gene Wilder was with her? Yeah. He uh, was originally married to her. Or they were a couple. Oh, in but the, then in he the went, early 80s, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's, um, God, what is her name? That's, uh, it's, what's her face? Uh, Gilda Radner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gilda Radner. I can't, we can't remember Gilda Radner. <laughs> you're right. I guess they were they were a couple for a minute. Like yeah, that. I'm yeah, thinking because he was dating at the, in the '90s. He was dating the blonde girl that was on the show as like in in the band, the long haired blonde chick. Because I had a girl that I went to high school with who that was like her cousin or something, and yeah, she'd yeah. go see the sound. Anyway, but so you have that, and then the, this other thing with the whole stairway to heaven controversy because oh yeah, it's funny. I never 
put two and two together that in the theatrical cut you'd see in the theaters that they, they do play Stairway, but then they couldn't really get the rights? Yeah, well, that's funny because I never really... I, I'm 95% sure I saw this at the movie theater. But the majority of the times that I saw it, obviously, were on home video because I owned the video. Of course. And I remember like, of course. N- not really getting that joke. One, I think, in the beginning because I might not have been old enough. Uh, but... I kind of think I was because, you know, my dad listened to that kind of stuff. and My older brother listened to things like Led Zeppelin. But then not really getting the joke because in the in the home video version, he's not, he he's doesn't, not, play stairway. He's not playing Stairway. <laughs> See, I saw this in the theater and I got the joke, I think, because at the time, my friend Martin McHugh, who I hung out with, I was getting my music from him because of his older brothers yeah, yeah. who were big Doors, Zeppelin, uh, Aerosmith, and all the 80s, Guns N' Roses, and Molly Crew. And the older brother, Tom, played the guitar. So I learned how to play Dream On by him. And then, uh, what is it? Dun, 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 dun. I know oh, how to yeah. play that. That's the only Spoke two things I ever, water. I ever played on your guitar when we were together. But I remember he would play Stairway, and that was always a thing. Everyone knew how to play Stairway. Yeah, so yeah. I always got that joke. And like, you know, he does like, dun, dun. But, <coughs> I mean, I, who knew that Zeppelin would be such tight wads? Or not maybe Zeppelin themselves, yeah, yeah. but that they wouldn't let something, this, you know. publishing or whatever. But I guess that used to be a thing. They said that they would, like maybe in England, that they would actually put signs up. You don't play. Like music people get pissed. Everyone <laughs> will come in and try to play Stairway on the guitars. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember like for many years, or not many years, but the couple of years preceding the, uh, or, you know, after the, after it came out home video, just getting to that scene and getting the getting that there was a joke to not you're not allowed to play stairway yeah. to heaven, but like not getting because he doesn't play he's not playing stairway <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> he just goes rah, 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 and they're like no they pointed the stairway so he denied so it's like you, it almost begs you wanting to do these uh the, the start doing like impressions well it's weird because just last you know last episode we were talking about how they for years you couldn't they didn't have the second Dawkins song. Oh, in the in the, uh, the how in the theater in the theatrical version there was in Dream Warriors there was two Dawkins songs obviously the one for written for Dream Warriors and this other one and then there was a long period of time with home video where they didn't have the rights to that second Dawkins song so they used another song that they own the rights to and this happens all the time in movies and I bet you a lot of people will realize that when they're like I could swear I remember this song and they have to replace yeah, it because yeah. they're right especially overseas or stuff not getting released which we get into last week a bit. Um, Let's see. We said that it's a. Uh, I like his car as an AMC Pacer in that movie. That was a, had a big resurgence. The Pacer, believe it or not, in that time. Uh, I love the Scooby Doo ending because again, me growing up was a huge Scooby Doo fan, so that's hilarious. Because yeah. I remember at the beginning of this episode, or at the beginning of the movie, they had the donut shop. They make a point to. Uh, to meet Mr. whatever his name is, Mr. Gower. Yeah, and yeah. then at the end of the movie, when they pull his mask off, I'm like, what is it? Because I need yeah, the he's actor. Like, how's, the, how's the amusement park going? <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, he's the, the haunted amusement park. And it's like, I think that's that was hilarious. And I like how, you know, how it ends in that kind of way. Uh, I, yeah, I, the multiple endings was very funny. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I like, because I like how it was a comment on at the time, it wasn't like, you know, like Clue is notorious for having multiple endings because in the game Clue, you can have different people be the bad person. But I like in this, they're doing an instance where they're making a comment on like having an original ending and then the 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 company then having it tested. And because the testing is bad, them changing the ending. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like a little almost like cynicism of the of the, 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 the business that they're in. 
Um, I like the, I, the the Ted Nugent albums I picked up on when he was he's named yeah, all these yeah. the Nugent albums. So there's like a lot of like of that in the weeds. You know, I'm sure there's stuff I didn't pick up on that's other rock references or stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, but the, yeah, that's great. you're right. You know, she's like, what do you think? He's like, oh, it's Double Live Gonzo. So I was like, oh yeah, those yeah, are ten all... cities live at the Budokan, which yeah. that's a cheap trick album, but yeah. they're all references to live stuff, rock albums, yeah. two, two Ted Nugent albums and a um, cheap trick album. And then Mike Myers says he ended up hating the film, and I wonder why he says, you know, he says he doesn't, maybe because he just didn't have a good experience on the thing, you know, or, or you know, whatever coming off on. Well, sometimes, you know, a lot of people, when you hear filmmakers and actors, they talk about, like, I can't, when I watch the movie, all I do is think about, like, what was happening at that time. And clearly he was having a very tough time with yeah. his dad dying and stuff, so I can imagine, I can see that. Yeah. That, like, it just was a, it was a weird time, and I'm sure the movie just reminds him of a, you know, probably reminds me a lot of his dad being sick and then passing away and then trying to trying to have the pressure of doing your first motion picture during a very tough time in your life. I can see that. And it, the uh, it being very topical, all the commercials in the movie are so like the, the Chichia, the, um, <laughs> the Chia Pet. Yeah. yeah, you have the Chia Pet, you have uh, Clap On, Clap Off. You actually have two in the, I thought it was only the New York area, but I guess it's natural. You have the Empire Carpeting Guy. Uh-huh. who's passed away now, but it's like, you know, em- call Empire today for carpeting, and they still yeah. play the commercials locally, a little animated at the end. But that's him at the beginning, like, for the uh, Waukegan, Chicago, and Aurora, and it's like, hey, that's that guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then when you get later on when they're doing the, the product placement, it's hilarious, the Doritos and the Pepsi, and then the, the aspirin. I yeah, remember that's being what, black and white. Yeah, but that's, that's the only one where people might not get it today yeah they exactly remember. they don't realize the or the marketing like it's, pepsi's in choice of a new generation you know? yeah 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 but it's very funny that it's all it's so time stamped to that era you know seeing the commercial then performing the 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 actual you know bits which was a common thing back in the day when you had a show you'd have like the colgate comedy hour you'd have like the lucky strike so in the middle of the show you'd have to stump for your that's that's like you don't have that anymore where you only have one sponsor yeah so that would be the name of the show. Brought to you by yeah. AIM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all, you know, and you know, that's, that's a completely, or Winston Lights, you know, and then you, you have Flint, Fred Flintstone hawking Winston yeah. Lights. But even, a, yeah, even, yeah, you know? into the 80s, you have like, in the, like, you know, or it would be like the uh, closed captioning brought to you by. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Helen Rubenstein <laughs> Foundation, a longtime supporter for standing children's <laughs> television. You know, uh, so this movie ends up coming out and does really well, and it's 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 pretty crazy how how good it did. I mean, it it was it only was twenty million. It took in one hundred eighty three million overall. Um, it's uh, been it was the highest. It was the eighth grossing uh, film of nineteen ninety two. It it brought in domestically one hundred twenty one million, and then in two thousand there's a there's a uh, th- uh, magazine called uh, Total Film. And Wayne's World by the Readers was voted the 41st greatest comedy of all time. And that's pretty impressive to think. If Even if I made a movie that was in the top 100 comedies of all time, yeah. Wayne's World comes as, as the 41st. And, um, you know, they ended up, like I said, they did a video game. I, don't, I never remembered this, the NES, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, and Game Boy game. And it's, it's kind of like a different kind of thing where it, the plot is he's just like... He, you you control Wayne and he's going through Aurora visiting Gasworks. He's visiting the donut shop and the music place and um, you know you're just talking to people and doing different things. You know, so it's one of those kind of mm-hmm. games. Uh, and it's it's weird. You think any like Wayne's World will make a game about it? You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's so odd. You know. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's still going. Uh, but as of 
you know, what is this? February? This is this is fe- this is beginning of March. Beginning of March of 2017. I believe it's still going, but there is an exhibit in New York City, uh, like a, a Saturday Night Live exhibit, mm. and mm. I, I went to see it with a friend of mine who was really into Saturday Night Live like last year, and it is one of the best, most one of the most well put together kind of museum type exhibits I've ever been to. You didn't tell me that there's a Saturday Night Live. And, uh, you son of a bitch. And it takes you through the history of Saturday Night Live by doing each day of the week leading up to the show. So oh, it's yeah. like the writer's room, the prop department, and you they have the couch and a little Wayne's World basement. Where is it? It's in Midtown. In the th- I want to say in the 30s. Is it like a, just a space? Yeah, there's a, there's Saturday Night Live, uh, like a uh, gift shop, but it's I guess there's two spaces because there's the Saturday Night Live exhibit and they have a King Tut Museum exhibit going at the same time. Not the uh, Steve Martin Saturday Night Live King Tut. <laughs> no, but they do have that suit. That outfit is on display during the exhibit. Um, so if you want to go and sit down on the couch. and You can actually sit down on the I couch? I think you can sit down and take a picture. Well, that's great. Sitting, the actual couch they on use. Wayne's couch, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we'll put a link into where that is, and and then I just overall, I think if it's still going, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll I, I, I it's just, still. I feel like I, I walked by it recently and was like, oh, that's still going. That's why I think that's it something might still I definitely you should have told me. I would love to see that. So I it didn't even occur to me. I, I apologize. You bastard. Well, now you know. And knowing's half the battle. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it to me, it just it seemed very smart. Like I said, I love the fourth wall breaking stuff. That sometimes that doesn't work in movies, and that worked and. And uh, they end they end up going on. They do, they reprise the thing in maybe the late '90s. They did another skit in 2011 of Wayne's World, and they just did the 40th anniversary in 2015. They did the cold open was a Wayne's World skit, and they did the top 10 things they loved about SNL. And I always love how they always preceded it with the Phil Hartman Cable 10 open. This mm-hmm. is Cable 10 in rural Illinois, and they yeah. in those skits because Phil Hartman died in the late '90s. In 2011, 2015, they still put that little thing in at the beginning, which I thought yeah, was yeah. real a cute homage to uh, homage to. <laughs> the other thing I loved about them in the movie was when they go sit down to do the first episode in the new studio. Oh, it's all a whole new thing. Yeah, it's like Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> Party on, Wayne! Party on, Garth! <laughs> like the new open is. Yeah, that was funny. And uh, there's a lot of good jokes in it. Yeah, and I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't hold up. I feel like it it holds up for us nostalgically but i don't know if it would hold up to a new audience it's seeing it for the first time in terms of being funny a lot of it there's a lot of stuff that holds up just from nostalgic purposes but there are a lot of actual genuinely funny jokes that that do still i think will hold up for a new audience it is odd to think if you were going to have your kid watch it now what he would think of it like someone completely out of the removed (laughs) from the context of having this be part of you growing up you know what he or she would think about this whole thing to uh, bring back the book I, I brought with me, the uh, Extreme Close-Up, there's a section in this of Where's Wayne, and it has a whole bunch of people wearing the Wayne's World hat, which is hilarious. I and mean, you have people like Peter Falk wearing it. You have uh, George Went, Jeff Daniels, Elvira. You have um, Lorraine Newman, Michael Jordan, uh, Bruno Kirby. You have a lot of people, Ed oh, O'Neill. You, know, you have a lot of people, Ted Nugent, wearing, wearing the Wayne's World hat. So, I mean, it was, it was definitely something. To that at oh, the time. it's something, all right. It, it was a, it was a huge thing. And then lastly, uh, I liked in 1995 in Sesame Street. Uh, there's they did a skit called Teddy's Town, which it was the Big Bird hosted, and it featured Mike Myers guesting as Wayne, but he was portraying a delivery man, 
on Sesame Street. So, uh, yeah. So that's uh, Wayne's World 2 well, there from you 1992. Go. For all you people asking for us to do Wayne's World, there you go. Wayne's World. Party time excellent. What would you think? I enjoyed it. You know, honestly, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it was part of that, I large in large part to that nostalgic, like, oh, yeah, like remembering it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, bringing back fond me- sense memory of bring me back to youth. It's another thing where it's like I don't want to disparage this movie because how much of a place of a heart I have in my heart for it. But it's like I'm glad I watched it because I had no real motivation or interest in watching it because yeah, it's, yeah. I'm so far removed from it now and it's something where I don't know when I would rewatch it again. Yeah. You know, it definitely has funny moments, but you know, I mean, it's going to be another 20 years before I watch it again. I'm going to be 60 years old sitting down <laughs> to watch Wayne's World. You know, get me out, honey. We're going to yeah, watch we're gonna, we're Wayne's gonna World. Go get the VCR, the tape player. I mean, uh, Sleepover Stars, I would probably rate this like a good solid 3.5, you know? Yeah, I'd it, give it a uh, you know, sleepover three. movie. For, for me, if I was going to do buckets of pizza, I'd go, yeah. I'd go like two and a half three maybe leaning more towards three i think yeah i mean it's good solid like right in the middle good fun nostalgia but you know didn't blow me away the way revisiting some of these other movies have yeah i mean if we go your scale i think for me sleepover stars it's it's a such a sleepover movie for me so it's a solid three and then the movie itself it being dated for its time i think it's still a solid like movie itself so like i think it's good so for on on those both scales, yeah, I'll give it a that, solid that's three. what I'm saying. It was like yeah. I it on that front outside of the sleepover spectrum, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to as a movie. Yeah, uh, and I knew I was going to enjoy it in the, under the guise of like a sleepover nostalgia thing. Yeah, so it was it did it kind of it you know it delivered. Yeah. So, yeah, it was very fun. You know, I mean, maybe one day we'll do the sequel down the line. On, and if we're going to, you know, if we're going to recommend a show and a movie. Go back and revisit Dutch. <laughs> or cruising. <laughs> Very different. Wayne's World yeah. and cruising. Wayne's yeah. World. One hell of a... One <laughs> different kind of a, a, a thing. But maybe even Planes, Trains. That's another great yeah, comedy. Yeah, any of the comedies we've done. Yeah, I don't know um, if there's any, any Saturday Night Live related. Oh, you know, last thing we always talk about... Well, actually, last week we talked about how... Or I did. I like how they make unique trailers for movies. And this one, they were on the set of Adam's Family. And they had them doing the... Oh, you know, yeah, and yeah. it was the teaser of their movie coming out, but they went to the set of Adam's, like in a graveyard. Or maybe it was the yeah, set yeah. that MC Hammer did his Adam's Family joke, you know. So that's a, well, maybe if we can find that, we can include that in a link on this cast uh, along with the other stuff. But uh, that was fun. But yeah, I wonder what other, I don't know if we've ever done any other Saturday Night Live related comedies. I don't think not yet, anyway. We've no. talked about doing Blues Brothers. Yeah, or other ones. But, uh, yeah, yeah. but not yet. And this, because of the success of this movie, it opened up a whole different, a whole Coneheads and well, all it, these movies. Yeah, well, that's the know, thing is so many of the Superstar movies, I think, are past our time. Yeah. You know, because, like we said, there wasn't one. Bef- the only one before this was Blues Brothers, which was like 12 years ahead. And then because of the success of this one, you get Coneheads, but then you have like the Night of the Roxbury guys and then the the superstar one but yeah there's Stuart Smarley Patrick I mean there's so many think about how many there oh, are Pat yeah Pat. yeah and then the uh, I mean like even the freaking what's this like I keep saying Stuart Smalley they made a movie of him <laughs> I've never seen that I've never seen Pat or there was the one with Tim Meadows that was one. Uh, the, the ladies they, man did, yeah ladies yeah they man, did that yeah. in two th- and that was that's 2000 yeah yeah you know I mean even I remember when that was big thing when Jim Carrey it was his first time hosting Saturday Night Live and that was huge because he's a uh, a um uh, in living color guy so for him yeah. crossing the streams to come on that was big it's like Chris Rock or Jamie Foxx 
briefly coming to be like set or not Chris Rock with Jamie Foxx certainly being a Saturday Live cast member and that was his episode was where they premiered the Night of the Roxbury his he was the first he was in the first skit yeah it was him and Will Ferrell doing Night of the Roxbury and then for that to be get a movie some years later with him and the other dude oh um, yeah Chris Kattan yeah Chris Kattan it's like you know all these movies by that time I was I wasn't into yeah they were a little bit they were movies. after yeah you know but they time. certainly were huge especially the 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 David Spade and um Chris uh, Chris Farley movies and then yeah, the Adam yeah. Sandler movies, which probably weren't Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I think th- they might, they were produced by Lorne Michaels, but yeah. they weren't Saturday Night Live extensions. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was a good time had by all. It was it's it, it, yeah. I'm glad reminiscent we, for I'm 1992. Glad we revisited this the 2000 to 25th anniversary. Um, and then uh, let's see, you can check us out on all our regular places. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, we're all over the place. Uh, and we're going to be in a couple weeks. We're going to be at a, at a convention in Cherry Hill. Yeah, if uh, you're listening to this before March 10th, 11th, and 12th of 2017, we're going to be at the uh, Monster Mania convention in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I'll be there all three nights, all three days. Uh, Deanne will be there for Saturday and Sunday. And you're going to be selling your book. I'll be selling and signing books. And I'll be there helping you out, getting your water, and doing things, keep, keeping the car warm if it's cold <laughs> out. Enjoying so, the festivities, of yeah. Two, I fun hope. times had by all, and uh, come, yeah. If you're in the area, come on down and see us. Or and come you by. know, we have a lot of things down the pike. You know, the turnpike. Not just uh, Saturday night movie sleepovers proper episodes, but we're branched out this year with uh, try to going to try to do more sidecasts and uh, more guest type things. We've already done. Yeah, one you've of got the one you've, lovers. you've done that you're you're doing in the coming weeks. We already did movie movie lovers already the first movie lovers already uh, premiered and we're gonna have more of these hopefully throughout the year but we've been talking about Deanna and I doing some sidecasts about topics and whatnot so in 2017 we're going boldly into the future yeah, we're, we're sad sleepovers we're, we're 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 boldly going where people have gone before but just not us and we're gonna expand our horizons and do stuff like that it's gonna be very fun and. Uh, we hope you enjoy what you've been liking and check us out. <laughs> hope you enjoy what you've been liking. <laughs> and we're and hoping you're going to be liking more what you've been liking and come and check and us out. And enjoy your day. And um, check out the site because we've got a lot of extras on there, pictures and then extra stuff of us and exclusive from the, the vault. And uh, that's about it. So party on, Blake. Party on, Dion. Sweet. <laughs> Down to you. Later. gonna make of the concert now maybe i can help always hook positive to positive when the dead car starts remove the cables immediately you know you ought to put some baking soda on those battery terminals that way they won't corrode wow i never would have thought of that i mean how do you know this stuff i know because i'm middle-aged man
Tonight's episode, The Affair. I think Larry is having an affair. Oh no, do you really think so? I just wish there was some way I could find out for sure. Maybe I can help. What? Who are you? I'm middle-aged man. I've heard of you. Who's this? Oh, this is my sidekick, drinking buddy. I have a life. You got any beer? Uh, yeah, I think there's one left in the fridge there. Oh, I couldn't take your last beer. Oh, that's okay. Thanks. What seems to be the problem? Oh, hold on, hold on. I think I just had a Maalox moment. I think my husband is having an affair. Hmm, tell me, did he recently buy a red sports car? Why, yes, he did. Uh, yes. Did he go out and get a haircut that's far too young for his face? Why, yes, that's amazing. And finally, does he seem unusually happy lately? No, not really. Then he's not having an affair. <laughs> ah, just a little middle-aged humor. Right, drinking buddy? Absolutely. Hey, what are you looking at? You're looking at my gut, aren't you? No. Well, I'm working on it. Say, Ed, it's beer 30. Don't you think we should be, uh, you know, uh, going? Ah, tie a knot in it. Don't start getting the shakes on me. Oh, middle-aged man, my husband seems so, so bored and disinterested. How long have you been married? Seven years. How long have you had that hairstyle? Seven years. What are you, Betty Rubble? Change it! Well, now, I think you've forgotten what it feels like to be sexually desirable. Maybe, but I know where all my appliance warranties are. Wow, I'd give anything to know that. Hey, you're still looking at our guts, aren't you? No! Hey, I bought an abdominizer. I think love handles are sexy. Oh, yeah, love handles. There's a euphemism. It's like calling sagging breasts love bags. <laughs> Hey, Ed, come on. My back teeth are starting to float here. All right, hold your horses. You know, you don't buy beer, you rent it. I hope we're of some help to you. Yes, you were. Thanks, middle-aged man. My pleasure. Just quit looking at my gut. I'm working on it. Hey! Hey! 